Yeah, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Did you hit the video button and you're sitting there naked? Oh, well, well, I am. <laughs> no, I actually just hit the uh, stupid hang-up button. <laughs> Sometimes I like have these brain farts when it comes to tech stuff, which is funny, considering what I used to do. But, uh, yeah, so that's actually what happened. I hit the red button instead of the green one. <laughs> All right, let's go. In the weird scenes inside the gold mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we continue our de facto Women's History Month with Jennifer Lopez on the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. Good evening, and welcome to, I believe it's the fourth episode of the 13th season. Yes, we are that far. We're in the, the triple digits. I think it's like 106 or something. Of Rich Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tonight, Jennifer Lynn Lopez was born in the Bronx's Castle Hill just a month before Woodstock, actually, in late July of 1969 to an army guy turned computer tech and a housewife turned gym teacher. How do you like those swaps? And like Sandra Bullock, has a background in ballet, but in her case also flamenco, tap, and modern jazz dance as well. Apparently her decision to take up dance pissed off her mother, who threw her out of the house over it. And hey, I can relate. She apparently lived at the dance studio after that for a bit. She was sleeping on the floor or whatever the hell. Along the way, she danced back up with big names like Janet Jackson, MC Hammer, and New Kids on the Block and lesser but fairly well-known folks like Dougie Fresh, Samantha Fox, and EPMD. Kicking off her career like Rosie Perez as one of those irritating in-living color shows Fly Girl dancers back in 1991, she left two years later to take up acting, with her first real role being the distaff interest in the rather high-profile Wesley Snipes' Woody Harrelson action comedy Money Train, and we talked mm-hmm. that in our Wesley Snipes show. Two years later, she took the lead in the biopic-slash-hagiography of the late Tex-Mex icon Selena, and went on to star in numerous well-promoted films ranging from action oddities like Anaconda to Sandra Bullock-esque rom-coms like The Wedding Planner, Marry Me, and Shotgun Wedding. Just before the millennium, she made a further move into dance music-slash-pop with a strong orientation towards crunk, dropping nine albums and delivering a surprising run of chart-topping heavy-rotation singles. She's middling at best vocally, but smoking hot, and obviously given her background a good dancer. And it probably doesn't hurt that she shared most, if not all, of those hits with dozens of rappers in that field, ranging from Pitbull, who she's worked with numerous times, and whose sound and style she most closely approximates, and hey, who doesn't love Mr. Worldwide? Flo Rida, and reggaeton leading lights Wisini Yandel, to folks with some measure of actual street cred in the community, like Big Pun, Fat Joe, and Ja Rule. She's also rather famed for her rather formidable ass, which, like Sir <laughs> Mix-a-Lot, very directly led to a shift in what a whole lot of American males find sexy in a woman. That whole twiggy shtick went right out the window when Jenny left the block and started working for the cameras, and most folks will cop to that fact, socioculturally speaking. She was and is sort of the ambassador of the ass, so to speak. Her somewhat troubled love life is also, for better or worse, a major part of her media persona, particularly her time with fellow celebs Puffy Combs, Yankee shortstop Gayrod Alex Rodriguez, and ill-fated decade-long rebound marriage to little Mark Anthony, 
who she had two kids with and, according to her, appears to have stayed with just out of misguided Catholic guilt. Direct quote, when Ben, Affleck, who she finally married last year, and I split up at the moment when I thought we were committing to each other forever, it was my first real heartbreak. felt like my heart was torn out of my chest. People do lots of things to anesthetize themselves in moments like these. Some people do drugs, some drink, some go out and party. I saw comfort in another person and tried to find someone who would make me feel loved and wanted in my loneliest hours. And that was the moment when Mark appeared in my life. And if you couldn't read the guy like a book already, you can suss out what kind of guy he was from this quote. Allowing yourself to be mistreated was something I did over and over again. I've never gotten a black eye or a busted lip, but I've been in relationships where I have felt abused in one way or another, mentally, emotionally, or verbally. <clears throat> And keep in mind, she still speaks in glowing terms about both her first boyfriend of 10 years and apparently mutual love of her life, Affleck, so you do the math. She, like Sandy Bullock, was on Time Magazine's Most Influential People list, got a star on the Walk of Fame, and had some side hustles like perfume and a clothing line, got multiple award nods, mostly for her music, though she did get three Brit Award nods, two Golden Globe nods, and double-digit People's Choice nods, though she didn't actually win many of those in the end. So, uh, again, like I said, I am Doc Savage, and with me is Mr. Lewis Paul, the maven of Salise, virago of vituperativeness, and big fan of Jennifer Aniston, apparently. <laughs> Hello, Lewis. No, I'm not a big fan of Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Who is? Yeah, <laughs> I'll make my drummer. Yeah, that's I'm not a story. Um, no, no, uh, you, uh, that's a good intro, because, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, because uh, Jennifer Lopez has done more films than she's done albums, which is really, really interesting to me. So she's actually more of an actress than a recording artist, although she's known more for, like she, like you said, she's had hits. She's had big hits. A surprising number of them. I actually looked into it around the time of this podcast mm. when we started researching it. And I was like, you know, okay, let's see what she did. You know, I, might, I know like one or two songs like Jenny on the Block or whatever the hell or Waiting for Tonight. Everybody played that. I was like, holy shit, she had a lot of hits. And, you know, you just didn't remember it because it's like, okay, whatever, you know. You hear it on the radio, you ignore it, and then it's gone. <laughs> well, what, what they did was apparently she would do these, uh, well, there's no physical media like albums after a certain period of time, but she did these, like, EPs. Like, she came out with these singles out of nowhere. They, they, they hit, and then when they would put out, like, the dance version, there was, like, another two or three songs probably from those sessions. So, and then, then some of those hit, and they're like, wow. And she's doing collaborations with these other yes. people, and sometimes they're under her name. But other ones, I'm like, I know that song, but it's not, you can't find it in her catalog because it's like, you know, you got to go to We Seen a Yandel or Pitbull or somebody right, else. Right, right, And actually, I do like Pitbull. I got to admit, he got me into him, oh, geez, I've been six or seven years ago now, when he started doing um, On New Year's Eve. He had his own thing down in Florida or whatever the hell. And first, I mentioned it back when we were doing Ed Eye Level. There's definitely one or two episodes where that came up. And I says, you know, this guy has respect for the old school hip-hop. He brought in people that you hadn't heard from in years, basically pulled him out of retirement. And he would do stuff with them. I'm like, you know what? i got to respect this guy for that. And, you know, he's catchy. He certainly loves to dance. He works up a sweat. The guy busts his ass out there. So, yeah, I actually do admit, I mean, I don't say I'm a pit bull fan, quote-unquote, but I like his stuff. I'm cool with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. So we're going to go into Money Train? Yes. So, Money Train. You got any cash on you? Why is that? Well, if you must know, I'm buying you a Christmas present. You gonna buy me a Christmas present with my money? Yeah, so don't be stingy. Woody Harrelton of Harper Valley PTA reunites with his White Man Can't Jump co-star, Wesley Snipes, who we did a whole show on, for this fatally flawed action flop. They're supposed to be brothers, which prompts the obvious cracks from blatantly racist alleged wife murderer and recent corpse, Robert Blake, <laughs> as well as partners on the transit cop team. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know that was nasty, but uh, <laughs> Wesley lands himself a much hotter girlfriend than Woody did last time around in a film debut, debuting in Harvey Curly Quaff for some reason, Jennifer Lopez, while Woody is a compulsive gambler who once again gets in deep with the mob. The rest is seriously convoluted and saddled with the most meandering plot you could possibly imagine. Woody wants to rob the train that carries subway revenue collections. Wesley and Jenny want to dissuade him without busting it. Blake suspects them both. There's a whole random side plot about a blowtorch-wielding serial killer a la Dunko in the house that's dispensed with just as quickly as it appears. Multiple sting operations where they take turns pretending to be drunks to catch muggers. And a long denouement where Woody almost succeeds. Blake diverts the train onto another track without warning the other trains there. He tries to bust them both but gets busted in turn by Lopez for nearly killing two trains full of civilians. Woody gets away with more than enough cash to pay off the Bonebreakers. Cue happy ending. A Joseph Rubin of no appreciable credit save one of those forgettable Brentwood-style crowned international multi-pack regulars, the Pom Pom Girls, directs. And while he does manage to capture a lot of that hustler buddy interplay that made White Man Can Jump endearing, and a bit of the running scare Beverly Hills Cop-style 80s buddy cop comedy film, it's a severely flawed film that really doesn't work in the end. On the cast side, Blake sucks. Lopez is fairly winning, and Snipes is at his most laid-back and likable. Woody's the same fool he always is, which some people seem to like. It's more than watchable, but yeah, it doesn't really gel. Uh, well, Joe Rubin, director, he did Bad Dreams, a very strange... Oh, I remember that. Yeah, the end of that 80s cycle. Uh, Richard Lynch was in that. Yep. Uh, it's sort of a slasher, but not quite, because it's... You know, yeah, it was sort of and... try, trying to be like a Freddy, but with like a Manson-esque type of thing. With Richard Lynch was... being the bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it was okay. The hype around that was large, but it just wasn't great. He did do well with a movie called The Stepfather. Oh, God, I hated that thing. Yeah, I remember that. There was another slasher. Well, you would hate it if you had a, you had a father who was either bad or sometimes young. <laughs> and there were multiple sequels to that thing. Yes. Who, who was in that? Terry O'Farrell? I think that was his name. Yeah, I think so. And even though he died in one of these fucking things, he kept coming back. I'm like, well, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Ruben was one of the guys from New Line. He was one of the producers, and 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 that's you know I'm going to direct my own movie. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know the early days of New Line Cinema. As far as this goes, you know, yeah, I pretty much agree with you. There's something wrong with it. It should work. I guarantee you, they will remake this. Why not make it a big slam up, bang up picture? It's just it's re- ten years is ripe for a remake, right? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, Wesley's fine, as you said. She's pretty much fun. Robert Blake is surprising. But, you know, I noticed when watching it again, like, you got a really odd cast. You got Chris Cooper, Joe Girafazzi, who people might recognize as a character actor who was in a bunch of oddball pictures. Late 70s, early 80s. And uh, what's I going to say about Woody? You know, I like him in some things. Most of the time, I'm like, huh, yeesh. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about it. Season one of True Detective, if you've never seen that, is pretty, pretty amazing. And I, I just totally reevaluated my whole thing about him. I was like, wow. But anyway, it also stars Matthew McConaughey, so I'm sure you're not thrilled with that. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Matthew McConaughey. He's just kind of like one note, you know, like, yeah, man. And if he's trying to play serious, it's like, I don't know if it really works. He's just too much that guy. He's a, whatever Bill Lebowski or all he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's next? All right, so uh, next up is Jack. Yeah. 
Strange movie. Your problem is you got exactly disease. It's where your mouth smells exactly like your butt. And you're a loser. Losers say what? What? Loser rubber glue sticks to you. <sighs> Mort, Garp, and Popeye himself, Robin Williams, delivers his usual disturbed person shtick as effectively a retarded guy who the film explains away as some weird disease where he's actually a kid aging four times as fast as the rest of the world. Sure. Anyway, our grade school brain midlifer whose overprotective mom is Diane Lane of Judge Dredd from our Stallone show and Murder at 1600 from our Wesley Snipes show is being tutored by serial roofie rapist Bill Cosby and he's forced to go to school, grammar school that is. He has a sympathetic teacher, Lopez, who's barely in this turd, and is lucky to, for no appreciable reason, have the smoking hot and vocally challenged Fran Drescher coming onto him like gangbusters. What do you see her in a bar hopping outfit with a pink leather midriff jacket and tight-feeding jeans? Holy shit, that woman is a looker. It's all bizarre, as if some moron saw Big and Billy Madison and said, Hey, what if we turn these lame Billy Batson comedies and make it all maudlin and depressing? If it weren't for the visual and sex appeal of Drescher's trashy girl on the make in a few scenes, this would be completely unwatchable. I never saw the appeal in Williams, and while it sucks that he wound up the way that he did, it was obvious from day one there's something very wrong with the guy, and this one case very much in point. Uh, Robert Williams, uh, incredibly talented. I, I, Not everything he did was gold. You know, it's like with everybody. Uh, I've seen some things that made me do like, wow, but you know, What's amazing is when he would be a guest in one of these talk show guys things, he totally went off. Mm-hmm. He went into another universe. <laughs> yes. And and you you could see those. You could see those on YouTube. Like, uh, okay, even, you know, any cars and Letterman. Yeah. Early days. And, you know, the, the stand-up is like, wow. He just could not. Occasionally, he was amazing. This is a weird kind of thing to do. And, you know, I think it got bankrolled by back in the day because it's Francis Ford Coppola, the godfather, you know. Yeah. So he said, sure, whatever. Here, we'll sign our name. Give us some more lines. <laughs> As in blow. I, what you meant. <laughs> um, I agree with you about Francesca. You know, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, you know, in, in, in my age nowadays, which, which is not that old, folks, <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I think about things. <laughs> well, I'm having a cigarette and taking a leak. And <laughs> yeah, it's six o'clock in the morning, right? You, you got your dick in your hand. You think of Fran Drescher. I know where this is going. Okay. No, no, no. Thinking, she reminded me so much of hot Brooklyn girls. Yeah, that's true. Until she opened her mouth. That's the problem. That was always the problem. And I want. I wondered for a long time if that was an affectation. No, no, it's actually real. Apparently, I looked up something about her years ago, and like her mother even told us, like, you know, you are a fucking stunning, but you gotta shut your mouth or, you know, work that accent out. And she's not a dumb girl. It's not like, okay, no. sometimes you get these girls that are just like, ooh, and you don't want to open their mouth. No, she's intelligent. She just you got that voice, and it's like, holy shit. Oh, that, that's oh why God. they had the actor studio, buddy. You have to <laughs> tell people, don't do that. Don't do that voice quick. Do this affected, uh, what do they call that thing? Uh, Mid-Atlantic or Middle English yeah, or something? Mid-Atlantic, yes. Where they talk yes. like this, you know, you know, like they do in the old 30s movies. <laughs> but, Holy yeah, shit. no, it's, it's, it's a complete, you know, even though Jennifer's in this, uh, not too much. Not much. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a complete, like, oh, yeesh, I couldn't recommend this. Yeah. You know. So next up, Selena. If you didn't know that that was Jennifer Lopez, you'd never know it wasn't Selena herself in a few of those early scenes. It's weird how much makeup and a cute Louise Brooks bob changes her look. 
And I have to be honest and admit, the main reason that young me paid any attention to this Tex-Mex siren back in the day, mm -hmm. and yes, it was well prior to the unfortunate incident, was because, like Lopez, she had an ass to be reckoned with. Holy shit. Take a look at those little Selena videos, this is what I mean. For the better part of the film, it's really kind of a road tour thing, where you see Daddy Edward James Almost of Miami Vice, and one of my favorite American horrors, Wolfen, driving the bus and managing his kids through their gradual growth as a hybrid Tex-Mex slash American pop band, which eventually results in daughter Selena becoming a star in her own right. They have diehard Cholo fanboys who don't mind fucking up their lowriders in an attempt to pull her tour bus out of a ditch, and eventually take on a metal-style bad boy guitarist who she eventually elopes with. Like everything else, almost disapproves. He even goes ballistic over her trademark shimmy and spandex and bustier ensemble that she was known for, only to come around rather quickly. Listen, being Mexican-American is tough. Angles jump all over you if you don't speak English perfectly. Mexicans jump all over you if you don't speak Spanish perfectly. Our family's lived here for centuries, but they treat us as if we just swam across the Rio Grande. She gets enough attention to grab the notice of a decent U.S. label and record a, quote, crossover record for the American market. But just as she's really starting to break, she makes the critical error of appointing the head of her fan club, de facto business manager, and she winds up embezzling funds and screwing over fans to boot. When this fat bitch is called on it, she shoots the woman who she stalked and managed to cozy up to, ending a promising pop career and turning into a sort of tragic icon a la Yukiko Okada, the much-loved idol singer who jumped to their death following an ill-advised affair with a married exec over in Japan. People still go and visit her every year in the anniversary of her death. Yeah. It's a sad story, and there's no question that had she lived, Selena would have gone on to become another Shakira or something like that. Lopez does a creditable job with a thankless, essentially one-note role, but more credit is due to the wardrobe and makeup department for really nailing the look of the late Tex-Mex icon. Not a great film by any standards, but it is quite watchable for what it is. No, I agree. I agree. It's a very good film. Might have been... Jeez, ah, how do I say this? It might have been rushed into production. It kind of seemed like it was too soon after the incident happened. You know, uh... Yeah, when is too soon, right? You know, there there probably be something on Netflix next week about the other days <laughs> assault by the young crazy girl in Nashville. But yeah, absolutely, people are making no fun of that. No, no, I take no enjoyment in that. No, saying that, but it's possible the way media works. That's it. They're kind of ghouls. It, I, they're they're probably signed a, a screenwriter to that right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they probably said, "Hey, you you worked on uh, Marvel movies? Okay, listen." <laughs> We lost our contract with Marvel, so uh, write up a storyline, and you know it'll, it'll be out in the summer. Uh, as far as Selena goes, and again, as I said, I think it was too soon, too close to the event. But she's quite good, and and with the makeup, and like as you said, the the um, costume design, costume design, hairstyle, and you know whoever was the DP on this, uh, Edward Lockman, he did a good job of appropriating that time frame. Did you see Blood and Wine? No, I did not. Oh, and I also want to say about Selena, one of the biggest problems with oh, it sure. is that it is, like I said, it's kind of a hageography, like in the biography of a saint, because maybe because she just died, maybe because they were trying to do something that was a, a nice tribute, but it's she's colorless. I mean, I don't know if she had uh, anything going on in her life other than you know marrying her bad boy guitarist, but it really seems like... You know, like the sainthood, there's absolutely nothing negative or, I hate to say it, but human about the character. It's just like, she's there, she's perfect, and then, unfortunately, she gets shot on her way up to the top. I'm like, well, yeah, there's truth to that, yes, but where is the person? I don't get to know Selena, the person, any better. So, yeah, that's a problem. But, yeah, go ahead. What's your... Uh... Uh, you're probably right, too. Uh, management and... Uh... 
her family, I'm sure, had a great deal. They probably mm-hmm. wouldn't allow that movie to be made without right. glossing over some stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. Blood and Wine. I hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't see it. Go ahead. Yeah, Bob, Barbara Felson, Five Easy Pieces, and then the uh, the movie where he bangs Jessica Lange on the table. Which one was it? I actually remember there was another one that he did. It wasn't Five Easy Pieces. He did that, yes. But um, was it the one with Art Garfunkel in it, too, with uh, Nicholson and Garfunkel? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold Atlantic, on. Not Atlantic City. What the hell was that? Uh, Five Easy Pieces. Oh, he directed Head. Great film. <laughs> oh, Postman Always Rings Twice. Right, Stay, hung- Stay Hungry with Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he directed a short film called Porn.com. We wonder why it was never released. So he's uh, he's been long... Known as a 60s psychedelic era um, bad boy who became a major cokehead. So, what does he come up with? This movie with Jack Nicholson, Stephen Dorff, J Lo, Judy Davis, yes, that Judy Davis, Michael Caine, Michael Caine, the master. We did a show on him. And it's about a heist and a bunch of bad people who can't get along. It's not like Anderson tapes where it's got a nasty, you got a nasty taste in your mouth when you from the, the minute the movie starts yeah we talked about that, that in a connery show yeah 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 it's a great film but you're like oh come on <laughs> so this is sort of like that and, and it's it's like hello and actually if you want to see jack where before he became huge as in big uh <laughs> you know it's it's it you got a lot of good actors steven dorf can be really good given the material uh, but I think she – I watched this again recently, and I just – wow, she got she got swallowed up by, you know, working against these, these heavy-acting males, you know? Yeah, if we ever get around to that Jack Nicholson show we keep uh, teasing, Jack kind of – I don't know. He just kind of rested on his laurels and started slumming after a bit once he hit the 80s because in the 60s and 70s, that guy was really yeah. outsider art, powerhouse, you know. He was always trying to put some kind of meaning into things. Like, and he did, like, existential westerns, like The Shootist. Or was it The, sh- the Shooting? That was it. The Shooting. And uh, Ride the Whirlwind and all that kind of stuff. You know, of course, he was an easy rider, five easy pieces, The Last Detail. A lot of movies, he was really intense and on fire. And all of a sudden, he starts doing this stuff where he's sleepwalking through it. Like, what the hell was it? The Witches of Eastwick and Wolf and, you know, this kind of crap. But, but, uh, now. but he I made agree. millions. Yeah, I agree on everything said but he would occasionally step out of the box and say i'll do something different like the departed i don't know if i saw that maybe i did maybe there's been a while well, it's, it's, that was in the 90s i think yeah it's it? by your favorite director martin scorsese oh god uh, no wonder <laughs> anaconda. <laughs> anaconda unfortunately they still i think they're still trying to ship it to me oh, yeah. uh so, but I did see it when it came out, or at least parts of it. Okay. I think it was after my wife was already down here, and I'm like, this movie sucks. It was the original, like, sneaks on a plane kind of thing, where yeah, it was yeah. dead CG monsters. And I remember Ice Cube running around in the jungle, I guess it was the Amazon. I forget whether it was a plane crash or if they were down there hunting drugs or some shit. No, no, they were down there hunting stuff. I don't think it was drugs, though. But it was a giant CG snake, and that's all I remember about this. Like, wow, this movie sucks. And people were like, oh, Anaconda, Anaconda. It was a big deal at the time. But go ahead. You, you saw it more recently than I did, obviously. Yeah, Luis Loza, who did a big Tom Berenger thing. Uh, fuck. Come on, people. Oh, Sniper. Sniper. Okay. And he did the, the good, the odd, Stallone Banderas picture of the specialist. Luis Loza, uh, I think he's a Spaniard. Well, yeah, all right. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he directed this. It had a weird cast, like J- Jennifer Lopez. Ice Anthony Cube. Bonifacio. He, I think he's Italian. Okay. <laughs> John, John Boy, 
Aaron Stoltz, uh, Owen Wilson. And, you know, it's fun. You know, it's uh, they're on the Amazon River supposedly poaching rare animals. And there's a film crew documenting what's going on. And, yes, it's a big fucking it, – it's Jaws with an alligator. Yeah, but it's it's a CG one, so you can picture, especially yeah, ninety well, CG. So. Well, you know, you can't use a real alligator. <laughs> so well, they, they always have props in the old days, and sometimes they look cheesy, but they're for the most part decent. I mean, look at Jaws. So, yeah, I, I just don't like CG. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you don't, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And yeah. it's it's an okay movie until seemingly nice guy, boat captain John Voight becomes. The real John Voight, and you know what I mean, folks. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And he becomes this fuck, and, and but he gets Robert short really well. So uh, he, he's a right wing fuck. That's... Yeah, you <laughs> like, remember what happened? Like I up? said, the only good thing he ever did was giving the world Angelina <laughs> Jolie. That's true. <laughs> and, and she should be on par for because I've seen her in a lot of good recent action stuff. She doesn't work as much as she used to, but I'm like, no. damn. Yeah. Um. I definitely love her. Someday we can do a show on her if you want. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Write it down. Pencil it down. All right. But John, John Voight turns into uh, Robert Shaw. I, I rephrased what I just said. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he gets his comeuppance. Odd thing about this movie is that there's been uh, made for video or, you know, or what's that thing called? Redbox release mm-hmm. sequels many years later. But most of the cast is dead by the end. If you want an entertaining night, check your brain at the door. It's got some fun. It's got some excitement. It's it's what it is. Yeah, it's like a kind of a, almost like a comedy action, take yeah. a tongue in cheek. I, I, you know, I mentioned that it was like the original Snakes on a Plane. You could also look at like a Sharknado, <laughs> that kind of thing. But anyway, 1997, she does U-Turn. Mm. You're pretty full of yourself. I like that about me. Jenny goes with her natural hair color here and winds up looking surprisingly like Laura Gemser in the bargain, believe it or not. Mm. Hard to believe, but that atrocious, jokey soundtrack that practically has a wah-wah is actually from an obviously way past his prime, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. And I used to collect this guy's soundtracks by the dozen, so I know wherever I speak when I say the man really lost it in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Oliver Stone, who kicked off his career in the fun seizure, Conan the Barbarian, and... Uh, well, our Michael Caine shows the hand. Falls straight down to Tarantino territory with this occasionally torture porn worthy, gruesome, bizarrely shot, and quirkily scripted take on what he apparently intended as some homage to 70s neo noir, and boy did he miss the boat. Penn runs into obnoxious, malevolent weirdos at every turn, like the pushy, blind American Indian with a dead dog on a leash, Nick Nolte of our Jackie Bissett shows The Deep and our Eddie Murphy shows 48 Hours, looking and acting exactly like Gary Busey, who they obviously intended for the role, and some hick supermarket robbers. Lopez is the sexy femme fatale who teases the shit out of Penn until father and hubby, you heard it right, it's Incest City here, no, Gary you Busey. you gave it away. I was about to go there. Okay, yeah. I'll let you do it. You did it. <laughs> Gary Busey, I mean, Nick Nolte made up an acting like Busey, shows up and takes him for a pleasant drive. Turns out that Busey slash Nolte and Lopez want to hire Penn to kill each other. I bet right now you don't know if you want to kill me or fuck me. Because she's smoking hot, Penn sides with Lopez and kills Busey. I mean, Nolte. But (laughs) he's just—he's being Jerry Busey here. He looks just like him. And anyway, but then they get pulled over like Sheriff Powers Booth, who sold the colored hankies to Al Pacino on that show's cruising, and they shoot him as well. Lopez turns on Penn, shoves him off a cliff after he buries the bodies, realizes he still has the car keys, and they shoot each other. Yay! 
My so-called life star and lookalike to an old lady friend of mine, Claire Danes, has a cameo as a country music-loving dim bulb who is shocked that Patsy Cline isn't putting out new records anymore, but that's about it. You know, I forgot Stone was partnered with Tarantino on that hateful Natural Born Killers until seeing this shit under his directorial ages. This wasn't a surprise sudden decline in taste and quality. It was all home week nostalgia for the guy. I despise this kind of shit. I remember folks going crazy over stuff like California with a K, Killing Zoe in the early Tarantino films, but this brought it right back. It's too bad. It may well be the sexiest Lopez ever looked and acted on screen mm. in the middle of one of the biggest overrated pieces of shit in modern cinema. Huh. What's your take on this one? <laughs> Uh, it's a rough movie. You know, yeah. first of all, it's not for everybody. No. I mean, uh, you have to. <laughs> he wants you. you know, Oliver Stone is not afraid to go places that you had no idea you were going. <laughs> and then your option is either walk out of the theater or turn the disc off. And uh, you know, uh, the guy, the guy is certainly, certainly has talent and has shown that with so many films. But he's erratic. And of late, I don't know what's going on. But he has Nick Nolte and Jay, Jennifer Lopez are father and daughter, but they're passing themselves off as a couple, like you just said. And it's funny because Oliver Stone's pretty much, uh, you know, JFK was, you know, conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, it's an extraordinary movie to watch. I watched the uncut version of that last year, I think it was. Four and a half hours out of my life, my love. And I was like, I'm still impressed by this movie. I like his earlier stuff, and even though it wasn't great, I enjoyed The Doors, but so much yeah, of the stuff later on became like, great, questionable. Yeah. But he cast John Voight in this. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. You didn't know? Uh, anyway. Or maybe nobody knew back then. Anyway, no, it's not a great movie, and I don't think either of us can really recommend it to you, but the next one's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Out of sight, Steven Soderbergh, whose credits are comprised of boring critic below bullshit like Sex Lies and Videotape and Aaron Brockovich, directs this typically absurd and convoluted Elmore Leonard crime drama with comic dialogue. Sadly enough, it looks like this excuse for a film alongside the gruesome from Dust Till Dawn and the absurdly gay Batman and Robin were what took a guy known for bad slasher sequels like Grizzly 2, Return to Horror High, and Return of the Killer Tomatoes and made him a box office name. Don't ask me why, I can't see it from this turd. The Afor reference George Clooney as a recidivist bank robber who bullshits his victims into forking over the cash rather than by force. He's slick enough not to get in on a jailbreak, but to use them as a distraction for his own escape. Of course, it can't go smoothly, so Federal Marshal General Jennifer Lopez is at the jail and in the parking lot that very night for no apparent reason. Of course, she's not very slick, so Clooney and his pal Ving Rhames of the Dawn of the Dead remake and the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible films, and of course we did a show on the two TV series and subsequent films, who's his getaway driver, managed to disarm her and throw her and Clooney in the trunk. All sorts of stupid shit happens as unimportant minor characters flit on and off screen, like the second and lesser of the two roadies from the Iron Man and Avengers films, Don Cheadle, as a foul-mouthed, coked-up baddie who complicates the already convoluted plot unnecessarily to pad the running time. Still the only decent Batman Michael Keaton cameos, as does Dennis Farina of our Chuck Norris show's Code of Silence, as Lopez's father... And Nancy Allen of Carrie, 1941, dressed to kill and blow out from our Brian De Palma and John Belushi shows as the maid. It feels like Lopez is barely in this damn thing, despite being the love interest slash antagonist. It's really all about Clooney and everyone involved with him, and rather unbelievably far more skewed towards the latter. 
I hate this kind of shit as a rule. American mob films, American crime films, New Jack drug lord films. I hate this as much, if not more, than the maudlin triumph over human suffering weepies and Oscar bait bullshit old farts and everyone in the Midwest frankly masturbate to. If that was the best cinema I had to offer, I wouldn't waste my time on movies at all. It's produced by Danny DeVito of Arnold Schwarzenegger show's Twins, believe it or not. So, obviously you feel a lot more of this, so what's your take? Oh, I like this a lot. I even checked off to it. What are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, I heard you say I wouldn't masturbate to this. So. <laughs> no, 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 I did not, folks. It was a joke. I'm not that sick. Well, I'm sick. But I'm not that sick. <laughs> I actually... Let me spit my stuff out here. <laughs> what kind of stuff are you spitting out, man? <laughs> What's well, going it's on? It's a flavor of water, but yeah, I did spit it out literally when you said that. Oh, are you abstaining from wine? No, I don't say I'm abstaining. I'm just, you know, not doing it right now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, anyway, so I actually like this Soderbergh film. Uh, There's a few I really didn't like, don't like, but I actually like Clooney in this. And I... No, he's fine in it, but that's about it. That's all you can say. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's got a very Quentin Tarantino-esque. Mm-hmm feel to it exactly uh, including featuring michael keaton and samuel L. jackson uncredited parts who were in tarantino films mm-hmm. at the time uh luis guzman who was too one well, till wednesday he was still waiting for his big moment uh he finally <laughs> got it thank you yep he's gomez uh, isn't he yeah 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 and dennis farina albert brooks uh, i think he's gone now, right i think brooks is gone yeah yeah uh, don Cheadle, ving rames you mentioned I liked it. It's cute. It's silly. I thought they had great chemistry, though. Yeah, I, I can give it that. But it just went nowhere. It's so convoluted. And like I said, they weren't even the focus. Okay, Jennifer Lopez, they barely pay attention to her, even though she's the ostensible co-lead. Yes. Clooney, yeah, they pay attention to him. But a lot of it's about these other people, like Cheeto and all these side people that float well, in and out. Yeah, that's like the... the ter- the guy must have watched a lot of Tarantino from Soderbergh, and at, at at this point in time, you know Tarantino's riding high from his first couple of pictures, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I could do this." Yeah, so it's just that's, like the Stone film before. Of fingers typing on a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same as the last film we just talked about. It's like everybody is doing a Tarantino knockoff, and they aren't even as I want to say kinetic, but you know they didn't have that energy that Tarantino brings. So it's like. What's the point That's of this? True. Yeah. Yeah. Hater, hater more like him. He's he certainly brings stuff in. Oh, he's yeah. very watchable. I'll say that. I mean, I don't necessarily like all his stuff. And by far, I really don't like it. But there's some of that I do enjoy. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, it's like if you compare him to these other people that are knocking off, like, who's that guy that did uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia? Or, like I said, oh, Peck and Paul. Yeah. Peck and Paul. Oh, this Peck and Paul. You figured that would be better. But no. It's just like, geez. Everybody's just doing a Tarantino knockoff from this point of history, which shows you how big he was becoming. But it just doesn't work. It never works unless he's doing it himself. And even then, I'm like, oh, jeez, really? <laughs> well, well, so. he's, yeah. You know, what was that? What was that thing he did with the, the multi parts? Uh, you know, Grindhouse or something like that. Grindhouse, yes. But he did half of that. The other one was Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, it was a complete mess. That one. It was. It was. I did like the death proof part, but you know, it's like, yeah, jeez. <laughs> so partly because. But then Kurt Russell was such a psycho. But that was surprising because I never expected him to do that. And you know another one I like of his, which, believe it or not, you're saying, okay, what Tarantino films? Like, well, I kind of like Death Proof. And I liked uh, In the Glorious Bastards. It wasn't a fucking pimple on the ass of the original one from, uh, oh, jeez, who the hell was that? The action guy, the Italian action fella. I keep thinking Fernando DeLeo. No, it's not him. The and, other guy. 
Yeah, anyway, whatever. Everybody knows who it is. I'm just, he's escaping. I, we haven't talked about him when we did those Italian cult shows early on. And I have a lot of his stuff. He's definitely an action guy. He did stuff like the uh, David Warbeck, uh, Ark of the Sun God, stuff like that. Django. Django. Uh, no, it wasn't Corbucci. Who the hell was it? Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all know who he is. We all know who he is. Come on, guys. If you're listening to this, you know who we're talking about. Yeah, so he did the original Glorious Bastards, and that was so much better. But I uh, did like... Ed Williamson and Bo Svensson was in that. And Peter Hooten, I think, too. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange yes, for TV. So. Yeah. But this new one, and also he did that, was that ridiculous one, Night Game or something, where he was the serial killer that had, like, a deformed face. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, off of Peter Hooten. The uh, new Glorious Bastards, I actually kind of liked it. I mean, Brad Pitt was good in that. There's a lot of people in that one. It's cheese, you know, it's kind of like popcorn entertainment. But yeah, if i got to say I like Tiny Tarantino films, that's one of them. So anyway, on to Jennifer Lopez again with The Cell in 2000. Effectively, the only film ever directed by music, video, and TV commercial director Tarsim Singh Dawandar. He did less than a handful of others nobody's ever seen or heard of, literally. The Lopez has weird dreams. And it's not just because she falls asleep watching that bizarre French cartoon, Fantastic Voyage, but she does. Uh, she's part of a very obviously coma-inspired project where people hang suspended from wires. And we took that movie in our Michael Crichton show. And lab rats monitor their dreams, a la 1984's Dreamscape. Just to prove this guy's never had an original idea, Dawandar more or less swipes the entire plot of Dreamscape by setting up this thing where everyone is entering each other's dreams. Lopez to some kid with schizo episodes and vice versa, as well as some similarly afflicted serial killer that Netflix aired was ridiculously unimposing kingpin we discussed earlier, Vincent Donofrio, also of our Stanley Kubrick show's Full Metal Jacket. Mr. and Mrs. Smith's Vince Vaughn into Lopez. It's it's just crazy. Everyone's jumping into each other's brains. It's kind of like that whole Nebula and the Headman thing with the swapping brains and consciousness back and forth between Chandu, Nighthawk, and the Deer. Meaning that he's even swiping from mid-70s Steve Gerber comics. Not an original thought in this man's head. No wonder he does commercials and music videos. Hmm. Filled with terrible post-production, choppy and artificial editing, and bad CG. This thing looked dated before it was even released. The concept sounds cool, and it probably would have been the basis for a decent sci-fi novel, but the direction and pacing just render it barely watchable dreck on the level of those old sci-fi channel original movies like Habitat. And trust me, I would love to see Habitat again. It was better than this. Don't waste your time. You'd be better off watching similar but far more atmospheric and terse nonsense like Ex Machina than blowing out two hours in this trash. What's your take? Well, it was disturbing. I mean, this is... Um, it's It was very... Post, oh, that by the way, that was en Enzo Castellari. That's it. Thank you. God, yeah. the name escaped me the whole time. I know this guy. I know what he directed. Yeah, so this is post Silence of the Lambs. So, but it's got that feel. And it's, uh, I, I, I think I liked it more than you because uh, it got a little rough. It's very, very uh, psychedelic and it's very. You're not sure what's going on. It gets very grim at points, which is, you know, on the edge of torture porn, which is a genre neither one of us like. Yeah, by far. <laughs> and and, and uh, actually, I got to the point where I, I was wondering if Vince Vaughn's character, and he's a, another special uh, FBI agent, um, could be not, not such a good guy. Yes, I thought know? that too. I thought he was going to be another serial killer or something. Or the zero killer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very showy. It's of its time. You know, but I tell you, know, I'm not going to say Tarsum Singh 
was a, a, um, a terrible director. There's, they obviously saw something in him to assign a guy who does commercials and videos to direct. Well, this, this is what happened with Marco Brambilia, who did Demolition Man, remember? Yep. But both of them disappeared after that, though, because Tarson did nothing whatsoever after this. He was just kind of gone. This guy disappeared after this yeah. also. And it's like, well, I, I'd be curious to see something else. Which led us to Wedding Planet. Oh, wow. Wedding Planet, 2001. This was director Adam Shankman's first film, but he wouldn't really do anything else of note until Hocus Pocus 2, which we <laughs> did cover over at thirdeyecinema.wordpress.com, believe it or not. Lopez is a real pull-up-her-ass type wedding planner who runs her jobs like a military operation. Literally. She's supposed to be Italian because her name is Fiore, and her dad is Alex Rocco, who was a thug, copper mobster in everything from the Boston Strangler, Stanley, Blood Mania, and Brute Court to Detroit 9000, Three the Hard Way, Stick, and Herbie Goes Bananas. And we talked several of those movies in our Tony Curtis, Burt Reynolds, and Black Exploitation shows, and my career-spanning interview with Bill Griffey over at Third Eye Cinema, if you're interested. Al wants his Bambina to marry a nice Italian guy, so he sets her up with a childhood friend for an arranged marriage like he had, but she continues to friendzone the guy while angling to be made partner of the business she works for. When she almost gets run down by a runaway garbage dumpster, pediatrician Matthew, yeah, yeah, McConaughey, of our Sandra Bullock shows A Time to Kill, tackles her out of the way and brings her to his children's hospital to recuperate. 13 going on 30's Tom Tom, Judy Greer, also of our Jimmy Lee Curtis show's Halloween Kills, pushes her into asking him out, so they do one of those movies in the park things and slow dance. But just when things are looking good, she gets a new wedding job where she discovers he has a boring-ass fiancé because it's for him. There's some back and forth where the boring fiancé has second thoughts. Lopez convinces her to go through with the wedding. Lopez gives up and agrees to marry her father's choice. And then both McConaughey's bride and, when she comes to her senses, Rocco and her groom all balk and push the two leads back together for a happy ending. It's sweet, typical, formulaic rom-com nonsense, but like so many Sandra Bullock films, it works because the leads are likable and the script hits all the right notes. I liked it. There's no question about that. Oh, I liked it, too. It's sweet. And and it was nice to see, uh, especially nice to see two guys who didn't, you didn't see too much around that time. Alex Rocco, Fred Willard, both not with us anymore. And uh, yeah, yeah. How can you <laughs> not like this movie? I mean, it, it was. It's the kind of thing like you might you might be like looking for something to watch, and you're like, nah, nah. And then your then your significant other might go, I want to see that. Yeah. You know, because they may not be a chick flick person, but it's just like I'm curious. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. It's, it's just like the Sandra Bullock movies. You get these rom-coms, and yeah. they work sometimes. You know, you get Hugh Grant in it or something, or you know, one of these guys, Lopez, Bullock. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's formulaic. It's slight entertainment. Hey, but... I, I think we both recommend it, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So next up, Angel Eyes. I take it your date sucked. I just don't need to tell my life story to a total stranger. What do you do? Where are you from? I don't think your problem is that he has too many questions. I think the problem is you just want to clean his little pipes. Lopez is a pissed-off lady cop. Wow, I never heard of that before. They're all such happy, fun-loving ladies whose family disowned her because she had Daddy arrested for beating on Mommy. What is it with Lopez and these kind of roles? There's this weird QAnon religious right asshole named Jim Cavazil, with no further credits, with a big nose and a Tom Green haircut. Remember his ass? Wandering around town randomly, quote, helping people and getting in trouble for it, who intervenes during a bust and saves Lopez's life. 
After that, he keeps half-stalking her, only she's desperate enough not to mind it. Turns out he's an amnesiac, wandering around in a fugue state since a car crash that killed his wife and kid, and Lopez happens to be the cop that saves him from the wreck. Yay, supposedly happy ending? Directed by a Luis Mandoki, this is one of only two or three English-language films this guy ever directed, and it shows. It's barely on the level of a TV cop show, like one of those five dozen CSI spinoffs. More forgettable, easily dismissible, and barely watchable crap in the filmic career of Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> What's your take? Yeah, I, I didn't like it. It, was, it wasn't quite good. Didn't Jim Cavaziel play Jesus at one point in time? I'm... I wouldn't be surprised because he is a religious right asshole, human on type. Um, no, like for somebody big, I, 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 unless I'm confusing him. Oh, Passion of the Christ. Yes. I was going to say, wasn't he in the Scorsese one? Yeah, yeah he, he was Jesus in Passion of the Christ. But you know what? You're right. Uh, the past few years, he's played Onyx, Kings of the Grail, When the Game Stands Tall, all Paul, Apostle, all these, yes, all these things. He might as well be doing Bible Man like Kirk Cameron and Willie Ames. <laughs> yeah, he's even self-financed. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. He's even self-financed a sequel to Passion of the Christ called Resurrection. As far as I can tell, it's self-financed. And I'm like... Do what? What's the matter with you? Exactly. I, I you have a psychiatrist. I, what's the matter with this guy? Yeah, but okay, I go ahead. You play Jesus, <laughs> and you know what? It's probably a really tough part to play. I'm not going to give anybody that. Victor Garber played Jesus in Gospel, didn't he? <laughs> you know, he doesn't go around thinking he's fucking Jesus or in the religious right asshole. <laughs> Am I wrong? That's true. Yeah, there you go. Say, right, made in Manhattan <laughs> or enough. Enough. Okay. So, 2002, enough. And when a guy like that who's naturally cuter than you likes you, he's cuter than me? Face it, no one's ever going to go after you because of your looks. Well, that sucks because my personality bites. Michael Apted, whose only notable credit is the Sophie Marceau Bond dope as The World Is Not Enough, which we talked in our trio of Bond shows, drops what may be the biggest steaming turd in Lopez's <laughs> film career and gives her a nervous breakdown to boot in real life. Seriously, it was from doing this film. Think how miserable one determined crazy person can make you. Lopez is a hash slinger at the local diner who gets saved from a typical sleazebag guy by a dorky do-gooder who she winds up marrying for it. He bet his friend that he could get into your pants by noon tomorrow. Oh, was it 200 or 500 bucks? The bet was for two, but now that I know you, way too high. He threatens a guy with a nice size of hideous house into selling to him, despite not playing the move in the first place as just some random homeowner, partially with an above-market payout, but partially by thinly-built threats. She winds up having kids with this schmuck, only to find out that despite looking like Jennifer Lopez and thinking that they're so hot together in the sack, he's fucking around on her. Right, sure. From here on out, he goes from beating on her to her running away with a kid. He catches her, she escapes again, and hides out with her old big-nosed boyfriend with a snarky sense of humor. He says bone breakers <laughs> posing as... <laughs> he is. This guy's like got a really bulbous nose. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he says bone breakers posing as FBI to rough the guy up and wreck his place looking for her. He leaves threatening phone calls like this fun Trump-like exchange. You're a smart guy. Two words for you. Lug nuts. You want to worry they're loose every time you pull on the freeway. person can go crazy about thinking about stuff like that. After that, supposedly she's got a rich daddy who disowned her, Fred Ward of her Clint Eastwood shows Escape from Alcatraz, so she wants to hide out with him, but he has no interest until Hubby pulls the same shit on him. This time he sends her money so that she can try to get her on her feet and start over. Of course, baby daddy tracks her and her new little boy's haircut down, but she's been learning Israeli army self-defense. You don't fuck with an Israeli woman, guys. They all do compulsory military service and Krav Maga. 
busts into his place, hides his weapons, and cuts his landline. Yeah, it's a bit dated, folks. And then beats him to death. Uh, yay? Who knew the Lifetime Network was branching into theatrical? <laughs> this, kind of, this kind of shit is that channel's bread and butter since its inception in the very late 80s, early 90s. I have a friend whose wife apparently used to watch the channel religiously, and all those, you know, my husband is a serial rapist and psycho killer movies, that the show fucked her up so much, she was too terrified to answer the door one time, and panicked when the husband came home one day, and his then-teenage daughter, who was also watching this shit with her mother, admitted that she literally, listen to this, crawled across the floor under the living room table to catch a glimpse of who was at the door. And these are not otherwise crazy people. The father and daughter are actually very smart. So you are what you watch, folks. Don't watch fucking Lifetime. So, yeah, apparently starting with this crap actually caused Jenny on the block to go off her rocker. Having a nervous breakdown, she openly admits was caused by doing this film. Great stuff. Bring the kids. Fun for the whole family. How are weird channels with agit-propagendas like this, and for that matter, the Fox Yellow Journalist Network, allowed to exist again? <laughs> What's your take? No, you're right about Lifetime. You know, I, I, my... When we moved to this apartment, uh, you know, my wife wanted her own box and, you know, whatever, because cause I said, I know I can't watch these. I can't watch these. I can't watch these. Yeah. And she would watch them. And somebody said, so I'm, I'm not watching things with you. I'm like, okay. So we open up the TV, you know, when we got a big, larger uh, live TV. And she goes, can we watch Lifetime? <laughs> <laughs> Like, and it's true. Right. Every single movie is your husband is a rapist. So, and trying to keep the pace. And you know what? These things are fucking disturbing. Yeah. They are. They're they're like torture porn for for married men because yeah, <laughs> they're like these are terrible. I mean, and they're all the same thing. They're like yeah. either the wife is cheating on the husband and is gonna fuck him up in a revenge thing. Mm-hmm. Or the husband's cheating on a wife, and he's going to fuck her up on a revenge thing. Or kill her, or kill other women. Or kill her, or in the other thing, vice versa. And, you know, it's funny. I found out a lot of these were directed by Fred Elden Ray. <laughs> he is Lifetime's pre-facto, uh, what do you call it, de facto? Go-to guy. Main yeah. director. He does their Christmas movies, too, beside the revenge thrillers. And they keep him on track, because... Fred Olin Ray gets some Emmys. Yeah. You should actually ask him if you talk to him again. It's like, you know, is it run by, and, you know, this sounds wrong, but is it run by, like, lesbians or something? Because there's an agenda there where they clearly want women not to trust men, period. It doesn't matter if they're your husband. You might have been for 25 years. Somehow they're holding some horrid secret that they're really a secret, you know, date rapist, serial rapist, marital rapist. They're going to beat you. They're a murderer. It's like, what the fuck? And every movie they put out has been like this since the 80s. And I haven't seen him in a few years, but I remember we spent a very long night along with Scott Wilson mm-hmm. from In Cold Blood and The Walking Dead. Right. Where... All these guys got toasted, and I wasn't even half as toasted. And they're like, telling me shit like, I didn't even ask you. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay. Um, as far as that goes, about Lifetime, I think he's probably really happy to have this gig. Oh, sure. He's making money. But, but, but outside of that, you know, he hooked up with Seagal briefly to do a couple of his pictures. Mm-hmm. And I, you notice he's not doing any more with them because – I'm sure there's a story there. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while, but I really like to talk to the guy. But, you know, you got to remember, he's trying to make money. Mm-hmm. So, yo, how much is he going to admit to anyone? Yeah. As far as this movie goes, my interpretation was, you know, you're right. It, it's very much like that whole thing. 
was like a year previously, Michael Apted did um, the Bond movie. Uh, which mm-hmm. one was it? Where it was not enough, which I like. <laughs> which I like. Yeah, we both like. So I, I, I don't get it. He's a British director. He also does documentaries. But, you know, job for hire sometimes. You know, you just maybe not quite there. Mm-hmm. Now the strangest movie is next because I actually like the hell out of it. I like it, but yeah, there's issues with this one. Made in Manhattan, 2002. Yeah. Oops, I almost sat on your face. You know the writers are old and clueless when the film opens on Lopez's <laughs> grammar school kid protesting her to tell him to shut off his headphones, and he protests that, but it's Simon and Garfunkel. You don't just shut them off. Proceeding to ask, why did they break up? There were adults in the 80s that didn't ask that question or hold Paul Simon's ostentatious folky ove in such high regard. But we're supposed to buy a Latino child in the early millennium doing this? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I had a girlfriend around the mid-90s, several years before this film was even released, who didn't fucking know who Ringo Starr was. I shit you not. I am not kidding you. Well, it happens to this day, buddy. Oh, yeah. It happens to this day. I, I, you know, Ringo just turned 80-something. Mm-hmm. And he posted uh, something, and uh, oh, working with Joe Walsh okay. in his studio. I said, "Hey, doesn't he look great for '82? <laughs> Who's that? It's Ringo Starr. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, the Beatles. You like the Beatles, right? Exactly, exactly. Come on, fucking shoot me in the head right now, you know? This is, you know, 30 years ago, what the hell is that? The mid-90s, I man, come on. Yeah, but you know how you felt, buddy, right? Yeah, I know exactly how you felt, because I couldn't like, believe it. I'm like, I, you're joking, I, right? You're not kidding. Yeah, me. like, you're fucking joking. Like, and you, there was other people standing around, there like, what? No, you're you being funny. you go to the Philippines, everybody's singing Beatles songs. <laughs> I swear, I go yeah. to the Philippines, like, I bought to hold your hand. See, at least you got the semi-excuse of, well, she's from another country. This girl was American, and she was white. I'm like, come on, girl. What's up with you? <laughs> so, I don't know. Anyway. Oh. So, I remember people mocking J-Lo's film career back around this time, saying, not another one where she's a maid, which is equally bizarre, as this appears to be the only film where she ever played one. Not a maid. And it's very, I think it's cute. I liked her in it. It's very cute. I like this movie. So, nonetheless, if you dig back, you'll see that it was a fairly common critical knock on her for a few years there. I don't yeah, get it. Was. it. Was, it was, yes. So, that guy Ralph Fiennes of our Sean Connery show, so Bender's remake, who can't even spell his own name right, Fiennes? What is he, an overdue library book? It's Fiennes. Look at the spelling, buddy. He's a rich Republican fuck no, politician. No, spelled Fiennes, I think. No, it's actually spelled like F-I-E-N-N-E-S. It's no, Fiennes. it's pronounced that way. I know, that's the problem. I was like, you can't spell his name right. He's uh, a rich fuck Republican politician who Lopez's kid, in another absurd stretch, befriends, because, listen to this, the kid is listening to The Best of Bread, and they both dig Richard Nixon. Holy know, shit, my head's about to explode that, that, here. Yeah, whole thing, yeah, you're right about that, too. My head's about to explode. Are you crazy? And since Mama, who's housekeeping at the hotel, decides to try on the residence designer clothes, a pleasant sleeveless turtleneck sweater, bell-bottom slacks, and peacoat ensemble, while changing her cum-stained sheets, <laughs> flushing what she left in the toilet, looks pretty damn fine at the moment. The kid brings the politician there to meet Mama. Oh, my God, I need a drink just for later. This is your absurdity of this. Where is my wand? He's hot for her and assumes that she's the room's actual resident, namely Mary Shelley of our Ken Russell Shields gothic, Natasha Richardson, who I had a real thing for back in the late 80s, early 90s, who's a rich fuck debutante. 
And that's another major problem. It's the only Lopez film where her co-star is far more desirable than she is, scripting attentions aside. Natasha Richardson is playing an entitled bitch, but damn, is she smoking hot. <laughs> if that wasn't painfully stupid enough, this whole setup, he invites Richardson, thinking she's Lopez, to a date, and six is sycophants on figuring out where the real Lopez is. Lopez is really hot on a promotion from Made the Hotel Management because, you know, that happens all the fucking time in Horatio Alger's Fantasyland America, <laughs> and, and is persuaded to meet him and end the affair ASAP so as not to jeopardize her unrealistic career climb goals. Naturally, she fucks him anyway. Richardson blows the whistle and she gets fired. But the kid wins Phoenix over once again by talking Nixon's pardon, and they all live happily ever after, and her as a hotel manager, him reelected, and somehow still both together despite belonging to very different social strata and worlds. Right. Directed by Wayne Wang, whose only noble credit otherwise appears to be the Joy Luck Club, this is a fairly typical rom-com, structurally speaking, but with such absurd narrative leaps, it comes off more like a Harlequin romance novel for poor housewives to frig themselves over. Phoenix is a goofy-looking fuck like Christopher Eccleston without the gravitas and coke-addled intensity. <laughs> and, and Lopez is really amping up the low-class Bronx Goyle stick. So it's bottom tier as her rom-coms go, but it's watchable if you can ignore the sheer insanity of a warm-hearted, not overly sleazy, and open-minded, quote, compassionate conservative Republican politician hooking up for more than one paid evening with somebody like Lopez's character, or a kid from the barrio who's really into bad 60s and 70s music <laughs> while not understanding the issues that made those decades worthwhile. Fucking Nixon? Really? So what's your take? <laughs> Oh, man, the kid was into good 60s music, you know. Red? Oh, sorry, Garfunkel. Okay, fine. Cherish is the word. That's the association. I liked association, believe it or not. Oh, what was Bread? Bread was uh, Baby, I'ma Want You and stuff like that. Baby, I'ma Want You. Oh, yeah. I'm getting harder, right? Uh, <laughs> now, wait, wait, wait. Wait, you just Ralph Fiennes. Because well, he can't um, say his name right, and he's got like a bulbous nose. and He's, like, <laughs> he's he yeah, like a crystal he... extra, but without anything that crystal extra brings to the table. It's just like... Okay, <laughs> I, I get that, but he does look like Christopher Eccleston, doesn't he? Does. he? Uh, but he he was in M in most of James Bond films. Um, uh, Skyfall, Spectre, No Time to Die, well, the last three at least. Um, I kind of liked him, so it's okay. It's a fun movie. Hello, hello, hello. Did I miss anything? <laughs> oh, worried. Yeah, we're pit stop. You were captured by aliens or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I guess next up then is Julie, 2003. In a war, the best victory is one that requires no battle. Martin Brest, of Beverly Hills Cop from our Eddie Murphy show, literally kills his career with this bizarre starfucker of a stinker designed to capitalize on the whole Benefer thing. Well, he was an old man anyway. Ben Affleck of Daredevil and many Kevin Smith films, perhaps most notably Dogma, is a low-rent wannabe mobster who is tasked with kidnapping the DA's retarded son, Justin Bartha of the National Treasure films, to throw the case against our man Al Pacino, who he devoted an entire show to. Larry, she's gorgeous. Don't fuck this one up, too. Lopez is the fellow hood for hire tasked with keeping an eye on Affleck because his boss knows he sucks, flashing her body at him and flirting in all kinds of ways before shutting him down by saying she's a lesbian. See? People skills. Knowing how to judge character. Knowing how and when to make a move. In short, knowing who and who not to fuck with. These are the things you boys are going to work on in the future. Christopher Walken of the Anderson Tapes, The Sentinel, and View for a Kill from a Sean Connery, Satan in the 70s, and Trio of Bond shows is... And the... Cowbell. 
walking, uh, is a detective who drops by blatantly hinting that he knows what they're up to. And Lady Kazan of Lady in Cement, Lust in the Dust, and The Associate, the former from our Frank Sinatra show and the latter from our Whoopi Goldberg show. Is Affleck's... surprisingly hot for somebody like that. I'm going to get to that. Is Affleck's mom, who really gets on with Lopez and joins her in making fun of Ben for being a schmuck. It's more or less in good fun until her girlfriend shows up and freaks out because she's obviously considering changing teams, histrionically attempting suicide like a drama queen, and Pacino finds out about the whole thing, which he never sanctioned. There's a sort of happy ending where Lopez finally gives Affleck what she has been off screen, and they let the Baywatch-obsessed Bartho off at a typical L.A. bikini-clad video shoot, driving off into the sunset. Affleck is pretty goofy in his punch-permanent bowling shirts, but it's obvious that he's totally into J.Lo, who is absolutely stunning, not to mention well-dressed throughout. Hell, even Lady Kazan is not only lovely filthy, reminded me of my grandmother there, but since I know you're into her, Lou, you get to see her, <laughs> you get to see her big ass in a thong at one scene. I admit, I wasn't exactly complaining either. <laughs> okay. uh, it's a terrible movie, but if you want to see two folks very obviously hot for each other working nonstop foreplay throughout, it's nowhere near as bad as you think. You just have to ignore the plot, Bartha, their handler, and Pacino's over-the-top performance. It's bizarre in retrospect that they didn't get hitched at the time, and the fact that they got back together after a few long-term filming mistakes is really no surprise. These two clearly belong together, or at least are very, very obviously into each other, arguably only matched by Angie and Brad and Mr. and Mrs. Smith back when. Awful film, but their chemistry and Kazan almost make it worth a watch despite that. Oh, I can say, oddly enough, <laughs> and people who know me would be surprised, it's not, yeah, I agree. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's not as bad as people say it was. I, I Yeah, heavily pan. You know what? When two people are really roughly in love and they make a movie, you're going to get shit. And what do you think is going to happen? There's, there's almost no way to work together with someone you love and have it not be, you know, Evident on screen. <laughs> well, no, no, I have somebody put a uh, microscope up to it. You yes, know? that's true. And and you, we got two famous shouters in the cast between <laughs> Walken <Al> and Pacino <laughs> and Christopher Walken. Yes. You know, we got A and the other one. Oh, <laughs> but you know, Lenny Kazan. Even you agreed. You oh, know, yeah. Like. Mm. And, and then she's an old lady. She's a big you know, lady in the, the sense of being zoftig and very tall and a little wide. But she's all right. You know, I liked her personality here for a lot. And this is the second thing I've seen her. And I was like, okay. You know. uh, two makes a, two makes a <laughs> couple. What's next? Shall we dance? Uh, no, actually, Jersey Girl is next, believe it or not. Kevin Smith, who I was praising from the days when Clerks was making the rounds at Sundance, seriously, to right around this one making its debut, starts his long and seemingly permanent fall from grace with this depressing unflushable featuring old pal Ben Affleck, the future Daredevil and co-star of our Sandra Bullock show's Forces of Nature, and the Lopez starring Julie from our Al Pacino show also. He's a single father and widower after grouchy wife Lopez heaves over during childbirth. The stress of raising a bratty daughter by himself makes him lay into the world's whitest rapper, Will Smith, on camera, blowing his PR job in the process. Renting some kids movie for her and a porno for himself at the local mom and pop leads to a grilling from Aerosmith daughter Liv Tyler, who is actually the adopted daughter of Todd Rundgren, believe it or not, who knows working crap retail jobs from her star-making turn and is still amusing a flawed slacker classic Empire Records. 
Feeling bad over slagging the guy in front of the kid, she stalks him to his house. Remember how the video stores used to keep all your private info on file to make sure you brought the tapes back? Be kind, rewind. And eventually winds up fucking the guy, though for some strange reason, Smith keeps it mostly off screen, bar a scene where the kid comes home and takes a crap while the two of them are half-naked hiding in the shower. Tyler isn't entirely unappealing, but she isn't much of an actress. I liked her a whole hell of a lot more doing music videos for her father alongside Fat Girl and Clueless's Alicia Silverstone and the astronomically more entertaining Apple Records than in this critical fail of an audience displeaser. George Cohen and the kid famous for sticking his dick in a hop apple pie, Jason Biggs cameo. And the film closes on Affleck giving up on an interview doing PR work again to see his brat in an absolutely terrible school play rendition of Sweeney Todd, I shit you not. The whole thing is weirdly hallmark Midwestern family values bullshit, proving that Smith getting married and having a kid didn't just take away his edge, it ruined his entire career. No surprise this was a bomb and the first of many to come. He never recaptured a laughs or cash out of stuff like Clerks, Dogma, Mall Rats, and Chasing Amy after this unlikely and unlikable right turn. What is your take? I'm going to go on record saying I, I, I can't fucking stand Kevin Smith. I think he's a <laughs> supremely untalented motherfucker. Who gives a bad name to the state of New Jersey? <laughs> no, Amy. Look, look. He's got a lot of followers. I get that. He's got a lot of drug addicts and friends who are in his movies. I get that. <laughs> Adjacent, anyone? Uh huh. Um, and he keeps making sequels that nobody wants to see. Yeah, that's I true. I get that. Mm-hmm. The Walrus was one of the worst things I ever saw in my life, <laughs> and I wish I could erase it out of my mind. <laughs> Um, I mean, have you seen that? No. Once we get past, you know, around this time, I was like, this guy, what happened to him? He just sucks. And I just, I've seen a couple things that Clerks too, and Jane and Silent Bob strike back. I'm like, oh my God, what happened to him? <laughs> so I don't even care no, about him. I don't know, but he had some serious health problems. Now yes. he's very thin. He's very thin now, yes. as you can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm glad he's doing well, health-wise. Yeah. But like, dude. Stop making movies. <laughs> no, it's like you need to work with other people. Mm-hmm. You need to, hey, you want me to direct? You write the screenplay. We'll write it together. Or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, I hate these fucking things. You know, it's, it's, this didn't work for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, for me, he was very much a 90s guy. I loved his stuff in the 90s. And then after that, forget it. Just stop making movies, man. Anyway, so 2004, Shall We Dance? The rumba is a vertical expression of a horizontal wish. You have to hold her like the skin in her thigh is your reason for living. Pull her back like you're going to have your way with her right here on the dance floor. And then finish like you've ruined her for life. Sounds good. Remake of a weirdly popular Japanese art house film eight years prior from no credits anyone's ever heard of, director Peter Chesholm, American gigolo and crackpot Dalai Lama fanboy Richard Gere, pulls his best Richard Dreyfuss as the nebbishy, chatty schmuck who keeps seeing Lopez staring out the window of a dance studio every day he passes on the L. So he signs up for classes but somehow doesn't put the make on her and winds up in a dance competition. Rocky Horror, The Hunger, and Thelma Louise's large-chested, big-eyed Susan Sarandon is his wife who's quite right to assume he's cheating with the astronomically hotter and younger Lopez. And Mariah Carey Footman, um, ex-husband, Nick Cannon, cameos as a reporter, and he's pretty obnoxious. The whole film is ridiculous, drawing rom-com and chick-flick viewers in with the obvious build to gear and Lopez making fireworks, but one private dance rehearsal aside, it's all disnified Hallmark horse shit. Gear obviously went there because he was hot for her, but all that happens is they both discover or rediscover a love of ballroom dancing, for the most part completely separately and with extreme chastity. 
And who the fuck wanted to see that besides your spinster great aunt who attends church every morning at sunup? It's a fail, a massive fail. Yeah, it was, yeah, you're right. It was, it was, uh, but there was a very popular 1996 film, uh, same name, well, translated, Japanese film, uh, very popular, and uh, so it was an American remake. We we do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I like gear and and certain things, and um, this just seemed to not work because it seemed to be made for. An audience that didn't exist. Can yes. I say that? Yeah. Um, it made some money, but, you know, it's... I made a lot of money. I'm sorry. <laughs> made a lot of money. What the fuck do I know? But uh, who the hell knows? Yeah, they got this hot-blooded, street-level Bronx girl, Latina, and this guy that was, okay, yes, it's long out past his prime, but, you know, it used to be considered a big sex symbol for all the ladies or whatever the hell. Mm. And they put her in this movie where, you know, you would think it would be a rom-com and they'd be getting it on, whatever the hell else. And they make it super chaste and boring and they don't barely even interact for the most part. I'm like, well, that, well, that's the thing. When you, first of all, the, the Japanese version, which I did, I did see. I saw it once, too. Yeah, I thought it was better than this by far. Yeah, better than this by far because, yo, it wasn't sex. It was eroticism. Yeah, I was going to say, you believe that more with the Japanese because there are more... At least culturally, they tend to be more restrained with their emotions, which is why stuff like their anime, it really comes out over the top, because they're not expressing that in real interactions with people. Here, it doesn't make any sense, especially with, you know, Alatina in there. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just wasn't thrilled with this. It's got a lot of fans, though. It's got a lot of fans. So, 2005, Monster-in-Law. Okay, we're worried about you, because you turn into a little bit of a freak. Yeah, we think it's from not having sex. <laughs> Alias co-star and short-lived Jennifer Garner beau Michael Vartan from our Wesley Snipes shows to Wong Fu is the dorky beachgoer who catches the eye of underemployed dog walker Lopez, who's told that he's gay, which, to be fair, is not a far stretch. He's pretty metrosexual. I could just kill that dog-walking slut. Hanoi Jane Fonda of our Brigitte Bardot and Peter Fonda shows Spirits of the Dead, our David Hemming shows Barbarella, and our George Siegel shows Fun with Dick and Jane, breaks as long a hiatus from film as I did from comics, seriously, 15 years, to come back in, of all places, this rather middling supposed rom-com. I've had a great run. I've done exclusive with Kissinger, the Dalai Lama, Muhammad Ali, four sitting presidents, three of whom hit on me, five Emmys. Now I'm being replaced by a young thing whose grandmother loves me. This one is less about the expected romance between the two than it is about Vartan's mother Fonda, a newscaster slash daytime chat show anchor who got fired for flipping out over a Britney Spears lookalike, essentially for being a dumb bimbo. So basically you have absolutely no idea what's going on in the world, and yet you sold over 5 million albums to millions of kids who listen to your insipid lyrics. You're influencing an entire generation of kids who won't know how to think straight or vote for a president or remember the significance of Roe vs. Wade. When Vartan brings Lopez home to meet Mama, she has the exact same reaction. And the rest of the film is Fonda trying to sabotage their relationship with the help of her former production assistant turned personal secretary, Wanda Sykes. But he's a man, and the only time they think straight is when they have an erection, and it's usually pointed right at the trampiest woman. You talking about her or you? But when Fonda finally realizes she's being the same evil bitch her mother-in-law, Vartan's parental grandma is and was to her, she finally decides to let them do their thing and goes off to get loaded with Sykes. 
directed by a Robert Lukedic, whose only film you've ever heard of is Legally Blonde, this one is really stretching the definition of rom-com. Really focused on Fonda and her antics, this is more akin to something like Meet the Fockers than it ever is, say, a Sandra Bullock movie. And both Lopez and Vartan are somewhat forgettable here. Yeah, yeah, it's a forgettable picture. And who is Michael Vartan? <laughs> it's just some guy from Alias. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, he, he was an alias. And he's and forgettable there. He's he forgettable the there. And he's <laughs> been, you know, this is a lead role for him. And ever since then, he's been like, hello, who are you? And I like Alias. And I think, okay, well, you think Jennifer Garner? And I think Victor Garber next. And then I think Lena Olin, because she was hot. That's it. I don't even remember anybody else in the fucking show. That's yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. pretty sad when he's supposed to be the lead. Anyway. So 2005, An Unfinished Life. Morgan Freeman, Oscar Bait Central casting old black dude with gravitas of no notable credits otherwise. Mm-hmm. And Robert Redford, the Bo Hopkins of the 70s <laughs> and wallpaper comes star of The Hot Rock from our George Siegel show, are partner ranchers. One day, a bear spirits away one of the calves, leaving Freeman very visibly scarred by mauling, as Redford was too drunk to help. They must be a couple, because they remained living together for years afterwards, just the two of them, Redford caring for the seriously fucked up Freeman and everyone mopping around incessantly. Lopez, who was Redford's daughter-in-law, gets a job at the diner and moves in with him because her new boyfriend is an abuser. He later comes by and gets his ass handed to him by Redford. It comes out that she caused his son's death because they were both driving exhausted on a road trip, and she passed out at the wheel. The expected recriminations across the board ensue, and everyone is long-faced and down at the mouth throughout. You want to continue this? It could be over all at once, because that's how goddamn fast your life can change. Redford gets exactly one good scene, putting two good old boys in their place after they sexually harass the beefy Cameron Mannheim at the local diner. But the rest of this film is a despairing shitstorm of very obviously lavender but miserable relations and a full cast of walking wounded sniping at each other. Even Ingemar Bergman would beg off on the script. It's too depressing even for him. ABBA video director Lassie Hallstrom, also of ABBA the movie, proves once again that, like Daniels, McGee, and dozens of other recent appropriate promotions to the director's chair, music video directors are not movie makers. Let's inscribe that in stone, shall we? Save the world from a whole lot of crap cinema that way. Isn't it? Very entertaining film. I, I, I like to see Robert Redford in anything. You know, you know, he's still looking like he can do it. I was very surprised at the nihilistic aura this picture had. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, nice to see Margaret Freeman still looking decent. And uh, it's it's not a likable film. I'm sorry. I, I can't recommend it for anyone. It's depressing as shit. And like I said, there's this unspoken thing that these two guys are obviously a gay couple. But I don't know. It's, it's not fun. It's not entertaining. There's no laughs. It's just miserable. And everybody just snipes each other like worse than a Milligan script without the fun of that. Anyway. So, El Cantante, 2006. That name's got to go, man. It's too common, like Smith. Perez is like Smith? It's like an unemployment line name, no offense. And you want to name the unemployment line is going to look up to, like Laveau, the voice in French. What, they think I'm French singing in Spanish? Seedy-looking trollish serial divorcee Mark Anthony is late salsa pioneer Hector Laveau in this depressing biopic of a guy still referred to as El Cantante de los Cantantes, whose needle-popping drug use led to him getting AIDS and, after half his family was killed or died off, attempting suicide. Babe, can you move your ass so I can see her ass? Said no one ever to Jennifer Lopez, except then-hubby Mark Anthony. You can't even handle ass like that. This one you can touch. This one you can have. This one is yours. That one? Forget it. I guess if you're into dingy 70s excess and decline like the ice storm crust with boogie nights, you may enjoy this. 
And look, it's a lot more seedy and honest about decadence among the musician set than the squeaky clean hagiography that was Selena. But while Anthony is credible enough an actor in this sort of not-a-big-stretch-from-reality role, and Lopez falls back on her usual tough Bronx girl shtick, it's really not enough to recommend this one. Watchable? Yeah, definitely. But you really don't have to indulge. It's kind of a downer. Yeah, it's a downer. And, and like, hello, you didn't know your husband was a bisexual? <laughs> I, like, recently his his boy toy tried to, tried to sue him mm-hmm. because he was trying to sue his boy toy. <laughs> Uh, this I'm not knows. surprised. Yeah. I'm not making this up, guys. This is this is on the web everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. You know, like he made some catchy songs, and uh, but my big thing is, why did Jennifer Lopez get involved with the guy who's obviously gay? Yes, and mean, and probably beat her, if not physically, then he definitely abused her emotionally, as she's kind of hinted at. Yes. So what's the point of this? Yeah, what's the? Point? I never liked them from day one. When they got together, I'm like, why? I don't know. She's, you know, it's called re. She was on a rebound. Yeah, it's called rebound. And then she stayed with him out of Catholic guilt. Like, okay, well, you know, I got married. I shouldn't be getting unmarried. And, you know, I got kids it's with like him now. It's like when you when you have a wife you really love and she's true to you, and you find out she's with another guy. You know, well, he loves me, but I didn't not love you. My father's first wife. That was the situation there. Yeah. He tried to leave her a couple times, but she kept having kids. <laughs> so he's like, I got to stay until the kid's like old enough so she doesn't basically kill him. How she many, actually had the fucking kid. Did you have? Well, they're not really my siblings. I have nothing to do with them. But they're like, you know, whatever half brothers or whatever the hell you want to call like, them. Like 14 or something? No, just two. A brother and a sister. But they're not, they have nothing to do with me and never did. I never considered them family and vice versa. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. Right? I never even met that woman, to be honest with you. They didn't want me to meet her. But, yeah, I mean, she was crazy because that's why he stayed. It wasn't just, like, out of guilt or whatever. He stayed because she put babies when, the, when this guy, the brother there, was sitting in the windowsill on, like, a second floor or second story or whatever the hell. She just, like, left them there and, like, yeah. was going around. I'm like, like, my father's like, oh, my God, this kid's going to die. I'm like, i got to stay here until at least they're old enough to take care of themselves. So, yeah, long story there, but fucking mess. So I get that part in a way, but still, it's like a bad situation. So there you go. Back to this one. Border Town, 2007. You know, I was never much of a fan of Bill Clinton. I mean, yeah, he and the even more flawed and limp-wristed Barack Obama were at least something of an improvement on all the crazy-ass, generally psychotic Republicans who filled in all the other years of my life till recently as presidents. But that doesn't mean either one of them was very progressive or did all that much good for the American people if they should have at least tried to. Case in point, Clinton is the clown who enacted NAFTA and GATT. And here's a quote. As a result of NAFTA, corporations from all over the world have built factories in Mexico alongside the U.S. border. Taking advantage of cheap labor and no taxation, these multinational motherfuckers manufacture cheap crap at low cost to sell at top dollar in the United States. I'm only clarifying a small amount of that factual title card which opens the film. There are thousands of these factories, or quote, maquiladores, and every three seconds a television or computer is produced. They hire mainly young women because they work for lower wages and complain less about the long hours and harsh working conditions. Most maquiladores operate 24 hours a day. Many women are attacked traveling to and from work in late night and early morning. The companies provide no security for the workers. And yes, folks, both major Fortune 500 companies that I worked at ran maquiladores. Go capitalism! Hooray for the corporatocracy and God bless Citizens United, eh? <sighs> Depressing true crime dramatization where Lopez is an aspiring foreign correspondent 
who gets sent by publisher Martin Sheen of our Tony Perkins and Richard Benjamin shows Catch-22 and our Charles Bronson and Sophia Loren shows Cassandra Crossing to Mexico to look into a series of rapes and disappearances relating to multinational corporations and the sweatshop factories that effectively caused this entire situation. Her contact down there, Antonia Banderas of our Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes shows Expendable 3, sets her up undercover as a worker in the same plant as the latest victim, only to wind up killed. Sonia Braga of Shotgun Wedding is floating around in there somewhere, and when Sheen refuses to publish the expose, Lopez quits and takes over Banderas' job as head of a Mexican paper instead. You can't say it isn't, quote, meaningful, and puts the public eye on yet another reason that corporatocracy must be defanged, trust-busted, and made to serve the people of their home countries, but it's grubby, depressing, and just an all-around unpleasant watch. Director Gregory Nava is probably being thrown a bone by Lopez for kicking off her leading lady status with Selena a decade or so earlier, but yeah, there's really no reason for anyone to subject themselves to this. It's playing in a lifetime ballpark in the end. Well, it's much rougher than a lifetime film. Maybe she thought, you may, maybe Jennifer Lopez uh, felt that uh, she, wa- she wanted to send a message, she wanted to talk about something. She wanted to do a role about something that meant something to her. But, you know, the thing is, people don't want to watch this. Yeah. Although it's, it's happening. Oh, yeah. No, it's real world. This is not a joke. They make this real off. world. As far as Bill Clinton, you got the best common mouth blowjob for the chunky chick ever. <laughs> and, 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 and he will never live that down. Bobby fucked her. But, you know, that doesn't bother me, and it never did. I don't care. The problem is that he enacted stuff like NAFTA and GATT and fucked us. And, you know, there's a lot of things that were his legacy that were just kind of, why didn't you do anything? Or why did you do this? You know, the stuff he actively did was no good. The stuff he didn't do was like a missed opportunity. And you can say the same thing about Obama. It's like, I don't get all the praise for them. They were like... All right, yeah, they were better than the Bushes and Reagan and all those other scumbags fucking 45 there. But, you know, it doesn't mean they're any good. Well, I think we have a good presence of what, Jimmy Carter earlier, the Kennedys? I don't know. Oh, it's the same thing about Joe. He's, he's barely holding on. Yeah. Well, he's trying. He's actually trying to do some he's stuff, trying. so I'll give him credit there. But, you know, every time they keep voting as fucking Republicans, then that's it. And everything's cock-blocked. Okay, now we cleared the Senate. Now we're fucked in the House. Come on. Really? Come on. What's, what's wrong with the American voter? You know, what's next? Uh, the backup plan, 2010. You don't want to have kids. It's awful. They've ruined my life. Have you seen my vagina? I will show it to you just to prove that you don't want to have kids. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> this one has Lopez making the stupidest decision you've ever heard in your life to voluntarily undergo artificial insemination to become a single mom. Of course, the same day she does it, she meets a guy, some Aussie named Alex O'Loughlin, whose only other film credit is the awful man thing, who she winds up falling for. Will you be my baby daddy? Are you out of your mind? I have countless more women to bed before doing something as idiotic as having a baby. We don't have to have sex. We don't have to be involved. Just give me your sperm. Of course, since she's now in a relationship, she loses the support of her single mother's 12-step group, and they have the usual screw-ups and misunderstandings. Who cares? They also snagged old-timers Linda Alice Lavin and Tom Happy Days Bosley, and that annoying white trash woman, Melissa McCarthy, who ruined our Sandra Bullock show's heat for bit parts and cameos, but it doesn't matter. Alan Powell, a low-rent producer and occasional TV director, apparently did this one for CBS, but his most notable credit is producing that shitty slasher Candyman, and this is proof why. I'm just not interested in men right now, okay? Oh, you're gay? I'm not gay. I'm going through some changes. Menopause? Menopause? Seriously? How old do you think I am? The whole premise is so wrong-headed, it's beyond belief. What's your take? And, uh, 
you were wondering why this was not a great box office hit. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good, folks. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm the same exact thing here. It just must have been, I don't know what was going on in her life at this point, but what to expect when you're expecting 2012? Holy crap, am I the wrong audience for this shit or what? A Kirk Jones, whose only credit anyone has ever even heard of, is the sequel to My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, we're scraping rock bottom here, folks. Dumps this loaded diaper in our metaphorical parking lot, hoping no one will notice. Check out this bottom scraping cast. And Anna Kendrick, whose only claim to fame was being Kristen Stewart's school friend in the Twilight films. Dennis Quaid, who hasn't done a damn thing since his one-two punch of our Charlotte Rampling show's DOA, in the Big Easy a little quarter century prior. Fucking Chris Rock, the mouthy little prick from our Wesley Snipes show's New Deck City and our Eddie Murphy show's Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Boomerang. The annoying host of the Press Your Luck remake, Betty Brant from the Spider-Man movies, and one of those nasty rich assholes in the Hunger Games films, Elizabeth Banks. And Charlie's Angels' bubblehead Cameron dancing little girl under Ruse Diaz. All in some awful yuppie crap about how getting knocked up destroys your life. Seriously. It's like an episode of Friends gone even more wrong than usual. What the fuck was Lopez thinking? I I couldn't catch this one. I couldn't find this one. So I'm lucky you. I'm lucky me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, folks. Uh, I can't comment on it because I didn't see it. Sorry. So 2013, Parker. Yeah. I'm sick of chauffeuring these entitled wannabe playboys who have never worked a day in their life, showing them houses that I could never afford, laughing at their jokes that I can't stand, fending off their growths, but not all of their growths because you never know. One day I might just get a full commission. So if you're gonna kill me, go ahead. I live with a snapshot of my future, and nobody's going to know or care. Detestable Schmaltzmeister and Hollywood hack Taylor Hackford, who lit such flaming bags of poo as an officer and a gentleman against all odds and the ballet-centric White Knights, drops yet another lame, foul-mouthed crime film in the Lopez filmography. Jason Statham, who was great in the original Transporter with Shu Key, but is better known for his sort of overpraised kinetic nonsense like Crank, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, the Fast and Furious films, the Expendable films, and we took those in our Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Wesley Snipes shows, in our John Carpenter shows Ghosts of Mars, is, surprise, a professional crook, this time not a hitman, but a thief for hire. Does he do anything else? Our Eddie Murphy shows nonstop racial slurs hugging sidekick and Jackie Bissett shows the deep cuckolded schmuck Nick Nolte is his handler who gets him knee deep in shit by scoring him a gig leading a team of whack jobs like Ben Grimm himself and Kurt Angle look like Michael Chiklis who tries to off-state them after one of them deviates from the plan and winds up gunned down. From here on out, it's Statham hunting the rest of the crew down for revenge and wise guy hitman hunting Statham down because Chiklis is related to a local capo. Yawn. Statham is believably intense and the sort of wiry tough it's easy to underestimate, but who you probably don't want to fuck with. But without a strong script and winning cast to support and bolster him like in the Transporter or Expendable films, he just isn't animated, likable, or photogenic enough to carry a bad action film. And that's the problem here, because Chiklis is the same type and far less animated, and Nolte is an incomprehensible old booze hound. What's here to like? Hey, you have a cup holder in your car, or do you just keep that between your legs? Well, it's large and black, where do you think I like it? Lopez doesn't even show up until nearly 40 minutes into the film, a grown woman stuck living with her mother, Evita herself, Patty Lapone, in a small apartment. She's a real estate agent who susses out he's operating under a phony identity, but is so desperate for cash to get out of living with Lapone that she's willing to help him with heists. He's got a boring girlfriend already, so there's no love interest-style tension. There's no humor to enliven the proceedings. It's not vibrant with that drab pastel digital camera work look and lighting. It's just not entertaining. It, it kind of sucks. Well, Taylor Hackford, despite some very good credits, is enough to be a huge cocoa. <laughs> and so and so has 
Patty Lapone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, big, big, big Broadway actress, came from a movie actress, and uh, you know, like I don't even want to know like how much work she did her nose to make sure she keeps breathing. Um, I like Jason Statham, I really do. I I think he gets a lot of shit. This was a this is a remake of Point Blank, the Lee Marvin film from '67, and uh, Jason's up for the part, but the problem is, it's it's the, the direction is like lackluster and the supporting cast is like whoever we can find that wants to join a coke party which may not include jason but you know jason's coming along because he thinks this is going to make him and yeah yeah you're right jennifer lopez doesn't show up to much later in the film and it's just like a bunch of like yeesh and and it's a shame it's a movie i wish would be better I've seen a lot of Jason Statham films I really like, and I was surprised I liked them so much in them. But this is not one of them, and J-Lo, not so much. So, 2015, The Boy Next Door. Oh, it's rough. I saw this, yeah. Jenny does it again, once again starring as a beleaguered single mom who gets over her divorce by fucking a teen her son's age. Worse, she's a teacher, and the kid winds up in her class. And, of course, it was a misadvised one-night stand, and what horny teenager who got a shot in a sack with J-Lo is just going to say, oh, well, that was fun, back to unskilled teenage tramps for me. So it turns into the expected fatal attraction slash basic instinct slash disclosure thing, which we talked in our Michael Crichton show, where he's stalking her and trying to fuck up her life from here on out. Filled with bizarre casting choices like the enormous forehead of squeaky voiced Tammy Faye Baker lookalike Kristen Chenoweth, <laughs> directed, by, directed by Me Too date rape slash child molestation accusation repeat offender Rob Cohen, and produced by gay sexual harassment accused music industry exec Benny Medina, this awful lifetime movie turned theatrical release actually outgrossed the wedding planner just so you could see where the American people's heads are at. Lopez looks damn good here, but that's the only conceivable reason to sit through this women's television nonsense. Why she keeps gravitating to this crap is a question that brings her checkered and apparently frequently abusive love life even more to the fore, but come on! Do we all need to be subjected to this shit so she can work out the fact that she needs to find a better man? Hopefully Affleck really is the one, if for nothing else, so we don't have to sit through hearing <laughs> another one of these. <laughs> What's your take? Well, my take was I think she was dating, by hearsay, I think she was dating Ryan Guzman at this point. Okay. And uh makes sense. This is what she does. She she doesn't have... Standards? <laughs> no, she doesn't have good control over what she's doing. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, she, she was probably playing another tour or an album, and this guy was a, a big fit, probably possible bi guy, and... She hooked up with him, and they did this film. I have I, my friend's daughters in this movie. Really? Yeah. And um, they wouldn't comment. <clears throat> but it made a lot of money because this lifetime type shit makes a lot of money in the movie theaters because that's what it does. You know? It's interesting you said that she might have this thing for bi guys because I have uh, my wife's friend there is really into guys that always turn out to be gay. Like, she had a thing for Lance Bass, for example. I mean, but this happens all the time. Ever since she's like, oh, yeah, I'm really hot for him. It's like, you know he's gay, right? <laughs> like, oh, damn, I did it again. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Must be something yeah, going there. Yep. So, anyway, Lila and Eve, 2015. You got a hobby yet? Your son's dead, and they tell you to start collecting stamps or something. Well, they're just trying to help. Yeah, it's funny how everyone wants to help when there's nothing they can do. 
Holy shit, did I call it or what? After taking roles in one, women are abused by men, husbands in society, all of whom are likely child abusers, kidnappers, or serial killers to boot. Films that are the meat and potatoes of the Lifetime Network's entire programming schedule since its inception. Lopez finally takes that last step and stars in a branded chick flicks and Lifetime Films production. I kid you not. Viola Davis, who plays the unforgivable Amanda Waller in both Suicide Squad films and the ridiculous Black Adam, stars as a woman whose son was just gunned down in a drive-by. That's sweet, but this is not my scene. Just being here makes me feel fucking useless. She goes reluctantly to a support group for women who lost their children, and befriends Lopez, a sardonic loner who stays aloof from all their hearts and flowers self-help bullshit. She ain't sitting for this crap. She wants revenge. I knew I liked Jenny. I had this interior design job, and my boss said to me, Real nice, you can have another kid. Well, at least you have another son, as if I have one to spare. As they have the same feeling about the whole situation, Davis chooses Lopez as their sponsor, and they accidentally discover Davis's younger son is now packing heat, likely as part of a gang. They decide to cut the shit and find the killers themselves, perhaps unbelievably working their way up through the gangbangers' chain of command, a trail of bodies in their wake. Holy shit, I can actually get behind this kind of lifetime. Then things get crazier as the gang pulls a hit on them, and Davis realizes Lopez doesn't even exist. She's an imaginary friend urging her on. It all ends when they bust into her place and wait for her to come home, but she's one of those paranoics who has the online webcams all over her house, so she knows. She blows up her own fucking house, taking them out, and the 12-stepper support group alibis her. Are you alright? No, baby, but I'm gonna be. TV commercial director Charles Stone III, whose only real claim to fame was coming up with that absurd What's Up campaign a decade or two back, drops a dry, flat-looking modern-day TV movie, as you might expect from Lifetime. It was a refreshing change not to have the husband or boyfriend be a mad serial killer, rapist, domestic abuser, like, I don't know, every other movie they air. And Davis is a whole hell of a lot more sympathetic and believable here than as the obnoxious Waller in the DC movies. Lopez is more than acceptable, looks good, considering she spends all her screen time covered up in a fake fur jacket and smoking. And you have to admit the double plot twist was fun if it had hackneyed. If they had given this to a tested guys film action director, I might even wind up loving it, but it's way too subdued. There's no real joy and catharsis to the vengeance, it's all completely undynamic and drab. Like the one-off dickhead of a producer who fucked up Motorhead and Orgasmatron with that flat, thin sound that varies from track to track. It even sounds like the tape has water damage on one track. The director here was a terrible choice, and that's the biggest failing here. It could have been a contender, really, but as it is, it's just barely watchable with the fast-forward button. So, did you see it? Yeah, I did, actually. And, and yeah, actually, I have to agree with everything you did, uh, everything you said, because uh, it could have been something else. Yeah. This actually could have worked. It was close. It could have just... worked. It was close. If they, if they, I hate to use a cliche, if they jumped the shark and just made it a little bit more feature film oriented, they, they, they could, with a different director, they yeah. could have did really well with it. Different cinematographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but anything else you got, you know, first of all, it's produced by A&E Studios and Lifetime and Samuel Goldman Films. It's like, uh, hello? Yeah, the, and it actually says, like, if you look for the logos, now it's a lifetime, but Chick Flicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chick Flick Productions. Like, what, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So, next up, Shades of Blue, 2016. 
Rayliata of Something Wild and Cocaine Bear joins Lopez in this newsworthy CSI knockoff of the old folks crowd. Apparently the only thing ever developed by an Adi Hasak, this three-season police drama actually ran on NBC and not some low-end cable network like USA or Bravo like you'd have expected, and features Lopez and the poorly coiffed Liata as a pair of corrupt cops on the take who gets busted by the FBI and has to play Matahari in Formington Internal Affairs. Of course, they're all supposed to come off, quote, sympathetic, as she's a single mother and he's an ex-Marine turned career cop whose kid was a junkie. Yawn. Only notable because, for whatever reason, Lopez and the asshole American Idol turned morning show and New Year's Eve host and somehow power player, Ryan Seacrest, executive produced this. Forget about it. Don't even waste your time. <laughs> Did you see it at all? <laughs> I got a story about this. Uh, during this period, they, they filmed a lot of the episodes at Chase Manhattan Plaza, downtown New York. Oh, really? Yeah, which is where I was working at the time. Yep. And they'd be like, you can't go there. You can't go there. You can't go. Well, what's going on? And like, I, I saw Jason. I saw, Yeesh. I saw Ray. I saw, I saw uh, Jennifer Lopez a lot. And, you know, and then the security guards, did you see them? Oh, my God. I'm, like, creaming in my pants. I'm like, yeah, I saw them. It's all right. Cool. <laughs> you know, I go out for a lunch break to have a cigarette. You can't go there. You can't go there. Why? We're shooting. Well, you're not shooting now. They're on a break. <laughs> yes, they filmed almost entirely in my neighborhood when I was working back in those days. And uh, yeah, I eventually saw a few, and I was like, okay, but <laughs> I, 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 I didn't grasp onto it. I, I'm going to have to be honest. You know, yeah. it's just. It's more CSI bullshit, just a little more maudlin. It was like CSI type of thing. Yeah. So, 2018, second act. I think you'll find he's the best man for the job. No, he's not. I am. Where'd you go to college, dear? We have minimum job requirements in place for a reason. And what is that reason? Peter Siegel, whose only films you've ever heard of were the sequels to Naked Gun and Eddie Murphy Fat Suit Stinker, The Nutty Professor, helms this maudlin family values stinker masquerading as a comedy. Lopez is a Walmart assistant manager pushing midlife crisis. When she's passed over for promotion in favor of some greenhorn off the street with an MBA, her hacker nephew fucks with her resume so she can get a real job in corporate sales. Treat Williams of the Ritz, 1941 and Dead Heat, and we talked 1941 on our John Belushi show, is the new boss. Cute Vanessa Hudgens, more famed for her sexting nudies and having to pay the National Forest Service for carving her initials in a registered forest and sharing pics of it all over social media than her defining career achievement, High School Musical, is her corporate rival who, in a real soap opera twist, turns out to be the daughter she gave up for adoption as a teenager. Saved by the Bell alum and Scientology expat Leah Remini is Lopez's pal, and the bailiff from the new improved night court, Lacretta, one word, yes, is one of the co-workers, and Annalie Ashford of the short-lived post Big Bang Theory Chuck Lorre sitcom Be Positive as a co-worker. It's mind-boggling that films like this and Monster in Law are given or give themselves the designation of quote rom-com as there's no romance involved. They're all about family bullshit and nothing more. Sadly, there are far too many films and Lopez is over. This one just sucks major ass. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. And you know what? She She's a heavy hitter. Oh, yeah. In the music industry and in the film industry and it's like who is handling yeah. her film roles? You know, who who who's dealing with that? Because they get fired, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like they're she's getting pictures with directors that 
could have been better. She's getting pictures with cast. They're like, hello. <laughs> and like, you know, it wouldn't be until shotgun wedding, which, which I think she rebounded with. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So Hustlers 2019. Yeah. Joyce Goyle, Lorraine Scafaria, directs his weirdo to the Scores Strips Club and the strippers who work there. You must be cleaning up. You're new, you're gorgeous, you're Asian. It's like a triple threat. Likeable Constance Wu, whose only major film was that lousy celebration of shitty families and dance numbers every five minutes because we're wealthy shitheads, crazy rich Asians, who's probably more famous for breaking down over internet trolls when she wanted her sitcom fresh off the boat to end so she could get on with her career and away from a producer who was sexually harassing her, how dare she, is Destiny, a new stripper learning the ropes from veteran Lopez who really works that role like a pro. That's the one good reason to watch this film, that one scene. Remember, drain the clock, not the cock. <laughs> no, drain the cock, not the clock. Well, yeah, that's the reality, but that's the line from the script. The two make bank proto-hooking like this till the stock market takes a dive and they're out of work. But after a hiatus that turns into a dead end, Wu's back stripping, except now the strip bars are full of Russian immigrants who actually do hook for cash. She blows a guy who shares a bump in a sniffy and gives her 300 bucks for it, but after that decides it's time for a change. The CEOs, the corporate raiders, they can be degrading, possessive, aggressive, violent, and they never get into any trouble because everyone's rolling the cover of their tracks because they all want what they got to be on top where there are no consequences. You're just another deal to them. She runs into Lopez again and they start running a scam with one of the clubs where they roofie drunks at singles bars with a mix of ecstasy and special K and drag them to the strip bar so they can rack up huge bills and Wu and Lopez get a kickback. Of course, other strippers get wise and cut in, so they drop the middleman and start pimping girls to do private home visits. <clears throat> Since any girls willing to do this are junkies, one winds up in the emergency room. The two finally fall out when they scam a Joe Gacy lookalike, those of you who know NXT, who Wu thought was a nice guy and didn't deserve it, and who reports the ring to the Popo. Wu cuts a plea deal and both get interviewed for this book on scummy strippers criminals, the framing story through which the rest of this came out. The interviewer has the balls to suggest they should make up and play kissy face after all this. Roll credits. Yay, white trash lifestyles. Who the fuck greenlights this shit? And my, I think Wu's a real sweetheart, and I like Lopez. I can't even picture what someone who didn't care for either one of them would say about this crap. Oh, and did I mention fucking Lizzo was in this? As a stripper. You get to see her more or less naked, which is quite literally traumatizing unless you're a chubby chaser or something. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a chubby chaser. <sighs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary. I'm actually, like, picturing a scene right now. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Give me a drink quick. <laughs> right, go ahead. Or Lizzo. You know, like, hey. Or Cardi B. She's not exactly skinny. Yeah, but she's not a chubby chaser type. She's just, you know. She's not a BB. BB yeah. Right, exactly. So, uh, this is a completely fucking fail. Yes. But it made a ton of money at the box office. Exactly. It was a big deal. Who the fuck went to see this? <laughs> first, first of all, this is a movie about a subject matter that, like, who wants to pay money to see this? Yeah. And, and it's a subject matter, like, I don't know. I mean, Constance Wu, came, as you say, came over crazy rich Asians, so she had some clout. Mm-hmm. Why the hell would she play a stripper looking to fuck guys for money? I'm like, hello? You know, like, 
you know, she she got some people to work in this film and, uh, you know, some part of that clout. But, you know, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. Exactly. And, you know, I used to watch back in the 90s a lot of those stripper movies with, uh, I know Kaylin's that strip to kill, which is actually lots of fun. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, with, with those Maria Ford movies. I love those things. They were fun. But, you know, they're just like, this was trying to be realistic, and it's like these white trash hookers going around and, like, you know, blowing guys for cash and roofing people. I'm like, come on, do I need to see this? No, because you know what's wrong with this movie? What? It has an element of reality to Yeah, it. it's too true, exactly. And 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 I guess, that, I guess that falls back onto maybe it's a better film that we're giving it credit for. No, we don't want to watch that. Amusingly, you know, it's just, just my wife just came home and handed me Anaconda. <laughs> so, anyway, go back to the beginning where I said it never showed up. <laughs> it shows up now. The DVD? <laughs> yeah, so it finally showed up now. I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Good job, guys. So you could, you could pop that in there. You can insert it. You can insert it delicately. <laughs> Don't hurt me, man. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> speaking of strippers, Marry Me 2022, She-Hulk's Cat Cairo drops the only other thing she has in her resume, literally, and it's nowhere near as good as the streaming series, but likable and sort of meta rom-com nonetheless. I spy doofus Owen Wilson from her Eddie Murphy show is the mopey farmer-type divorcee whose annoying friend, played by the annoying Sarah Silverman, drags him to a Lopez concert to bond with his increasingly distant daughter. It so happens that Lopez, a Madonna-like pop star, plans to marry some guy named Maluma, a Latin market pop star, on stage as a cheesy publicity stunt. Gee, I hope she didn't do it with Mark Anthony. Anyway, the guy's a sleazy Latino, so of course he's sleeping around on her, even on the night of the wedding. So when she goes on stage to start the big event, she spies Wilson, who's holding a sign for Silverman that inexplicably is asking Lopez to marry me, throws him in the spotlight and says, sure, let's do it. The rest of the film is her team recruiting him to play along to put a spin on the whole thing and keep her image, and his going along with it just trying to be a nice guy. Of course, they really do fall for each other, and she comes to the school dance he chaperones, gets attached to his kid, until she gets pulled into a Grammy performance for a song that she wrote for Wilson, widely presumed to be written for her ex, and farmed by Wilson figures he doesn't fit in her world. But she admits on national TV it was about Wilson and runs out on a planned duet with Maluma to go to Wilson's kids' school play role credits. It's paint-by-numbers rom-com foolishness, but Lopez is both stunning and endearing here, and for all his, well, shucks, ma'am, Jimmy Stewart by way of Gary Cooper shtick, and despite way too much grousing and demurring throughout, Wilson is a lot more likable here than he was in I Spy. Maluma looks lost, and Silverman sucks, but there's a surprisingly good soundtrack, some rather sexed-up stage routines, and it's all rather harmless rom-com fun. I actually watched it three times, believe it or not, twice myself and once with my wife. This one, The Wedding Planner and Shotgun Wedding, were actually why I thought Lopez might make a good chaser to our Sandra Bullock show in the first place. So, yeah, it's no great art for the ages, but I do recommend a watch. It was nice. No, it's a lot of fun. I, I agree with you entirely. It's it's a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, sometimes people... Our subject is Jennifer Lopez, but sometimes people give Owen Wilson a lot of shit, and he's done some interesting movies. He did this thing called Escape uh, with uh, Pierce Boston, filmed in Philippines or Taiwan, uh, Thailand, which was so fucking edgy, I was like, fucking my heart was skipping beats. Really? 
Because yeah. I was seeing like stuff with the Dukes of Hazard and crap like that. Like, no, no, no. It's like the the guy goes out there on the edge on occasion, and then. Uh, so what was the name of this again? I gotta check this out. Uh, Escape. Escape. That's it. Okay. I'll send it to you. I'll send yeah, it to you. yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Like, uh, Pierce, especially with Pierce Brosnan, because I like him anyway. So. You know, Pierce was like this, just like boozed up, like burned out agent, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Owen was this guy who has a family, and they're you know he's trying to get a job in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And then there's like this uh, big thing going on in Thailand. There's like a overthrow. He has okay. to get the fuck out, and it's really fucking brutal. I you never seen that? No, I never saw. It. Oh my god, it was so crazy that. But I know it's like almost two hours, but but I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> No, it's like one of those. I I really get to a movie. I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah, look, like Speed, Total Recall. There's only, there's only a couple of films I can think of like that. So. No, it's, it's really good. And 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 like we got like big office buildings. We got like we're gonna fuck your wife. We're gonna fuck your daughter. I mean, this is rough shit. Trust me. All right. When you, when you get to those levels, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> So next up, and actually last on the uh, resume here, is Shotgun Wedding, which is actually just this past year. Yes, it is. Lopez takes charge in this fun Lost City by way of an Angelina Jolie action film from no-name director Jason Moore, whose only credit otherwise appears to be pitch perfect, and we talk Lost City in our Sandra Bullock show. The guy who married the girl who admits to pissing herself on stage, former Black Eyed Pea Fergie ex Josh Duhamel, is the... Wait, wait, who puts herself on stage? Fergie. You know the Fergalicious and all that? Yeah, she, she's proud of that. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, you got to go out on stage. And, you know, I pissed myself out there because I got to get out. And, you know, I had the call. I couldn't go run for the bathroom. I'm like, seriously, woman? And you're going to tell everybody this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this guy married her. He's the neutered and hapless dude in distress playing what used to be the bimbo sidekick role in movies like The Canon King Solomon's Mines and getting maybe one good hit in while Lopez takes the keys, hits the throttle, and takes motherfuckers down and heals in a wedding dress. He's a sissy boy former baseball player with no brains and less balls who plans out what he thinks will be the perfect island wedding, ignoring the fact that the Philippine island he chooses is a regular target for Somali-style pirates. Jennifer Coolidge, the mom from the American Pie films, Cheech, and Sonia Braga of Angel Eyes and Border Town are the respective in-laws, but it's really all about Lopez working the charm and de facto action hero business, and to a lesser extent, the in-laws who provide the laughs. While the usual awkward wedding moments, in-law encounters, and arguments ensue, Lenny Kravitz, who we talked about in, of all places, my interview with Blood Feast Kevin Kuzma. Yes, kids, Lenny Kravitz makes an uncredited appearance on Kill for Pleasure. Go listen to the interview if you don't believe it. Arise. Lopez's ex and a favorite of rich fuck parent Cheech, he delivers a savvy speech upstaging to Hamill's bumbling mood killer and acts the hero until, surprise spoiler, he turns out to be the head baddie gunning for Cheech's money. It's far from perfect, and DeHamel sucks as a lead, much less one who thinks he's manly, but is actually weak and hapless throughout. But the rest of the cast is great, including the sleazy Kravitz. And the only major fail here is an awkward scene that makes zero sense, where the, the captured wedding party all joins in to sing that stupid 90s wrist slitter about love suicide. No idea what the fuck they were going for with that. Oh, yo, it's, <laughs> it's surprisingly a lot of fun. Who knew, right? Yeah. Who knew this thing would be so much fun? And, and It was like out of left field. My wife was making fun of it when they first put the, the trailers on the streaming thing. I'm like, I think I want to see that. So I was like, that was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's like <laughs> totally one of those out of left field movies. Yeah. She's got life in her. I... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish you would find better representation, but you know what? <laughs> um, this was a lot of fun, and I was like, okay, I'll watch this. I'll go with this, and I'm like, really? Yeah, it was just like The Lost City with Bullock. I'm like, wow, they're still doing stuff, and it's actually fun. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. And, and and it's the best recommendation either of us can do. Like, hey, guys, don't turn away. It's fun. You want a fun night? Watch this. Yeah. And I appreciate her. You know, okay, she's not, you know, Angelina Jolie and Mr. Mrs. Smith or Salt or something like that, but it's it was good, you know. I enjoyed the whole, you know, her going kicking ass and taking names. So it was, it was good. Yeah. So anyway, is there anything else you wanted to say to close it out? Or? No, I think we're good. All right, so thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat. I'm Jennifer Lopez. Next week, I believe we're going to be doing Richard Burton. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or musician who'd like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1, and of course we're on Podbean, thirdicemma.pween.com. We're on iTunes and Spotify and Amazon Podcasts and several other places. Just look us up under Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Line Podcast. If you're particular, you can look for us on iTunes at ID 55340244. Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine brought to you by the new and approved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. So, uh, yeah, I mean, unless you got anything else to close out on. Yeah, thank you for listening, man. It's uh, rare we try to step outside the uh, box. Yeah, we're not talking about 70s films here. We're not talking about classics. We're talking about, you know, everyday, work-a-day, stuff that people watch normally. And we want, you know, it's time to recognize character actors and actresses and singers and the like. And I am very proud of where we're going and where we're headed with this. Uh, it's like we're going places that a lot of podcast shows are not going. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I'm very proud. Yeah. Yes, we have Richard Burton on the docket. Mm-hmm. And how many people are going to be discussing Richard Burton films? So this could be very fucking interesting <laughs> in the, the coming days to come. Yeah, and uh, I just posted today, you know, it's going to be a couple months, obviously, but it's on schedule, or Richard Benjamin show, and like you had said in that one, yes. I actually hope that, you know, Richard and Paul Apprentice actually take note of that and hear it, but just because, you know, just for the sake of saying, hey, look, somebody appreciates you, somebody remembers you, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're doing. So. Oh, yeah, Richard Benjamin and Paul, Paul Apprentice, yes. Two great actors. Yeah, and supposedly and... decent people. I mean, you even had an experience with them, so. Yes. I had really good experiences with those people. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be nice if they ever saw what we did. That would be, like, uh, really, really charming. Yeah. Gratifying just yeah. because, you know, okay, they know that somebody remembers them. <laughs> you know, somebody has some appreciation for what they did. Well, we, re- we remember them. You know, the thing is, we remember these people. And it'd be nice to people who listen to maybe people they don't know about or you know, it's like we're aging and people don't know about people from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Well, like we just talked about earlier with people that didn't know who the hell these people from the 60s were, like the Beatles. Like, really? <laughs> oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. So, you know, how much more unlikely is it going to be that somebody that's, you know, a, a Gen Z is going to say, who the fuck is Richard Benjamin? 
<laughs> or, you know, you're lucky if they remember Jennifer Lopez, for God's sakes. No, she, 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 she's still around. Good good, good vibes to her. Hope she continues to do what she does. Yeah, and hopefully... Good luck to her and Ben. I was going to say, hopefully this is the one. I, my wife was like, why are you, like, happy? You usually don't follow this kind of star shit. I'm like, nah, because I always thought that there was a... You know, they had something going, and it just didn't work out. And she made a lot of fucking mistakes along the way, and unfortunately, so did he. So, you know, maybe this is finally it. It's the way they were meant to be in the first place. So, good to you guys. Best of luck to yeah. you. Yeah, best of luck. I really mean that. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. All right. So we will see you next time with Mr. Richard Burton. You're fun, man. Thanks for listening. We, we really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. All right. See you next time, my buddy. And uh, all's well on your end, right, with all the, the tests and everything else. You know, I think it was scary coming up. <laughs> Not yet, but it will let you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're okay at this point, but I'm like, I don't know. Is there something else I didn't remember? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'll let you know. All right. Take it easy, huh? Okay. Okay. Bye. at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines politics to pop culture from the 
corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> Sorry. That's all right. I was going to say, how are you doing today? You sound a little rough. <laughs> no, no, it was a frog in my throat. Oh, man, sitting through all those Jennifer Aniston films. I'll tell you, it's been rough. Jennifer Aniston. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I can't stand her. <laughs> it's uh, funny. We actually saw her, me and my drummer, way back when, when uh, Pelosian Pumpkinhead, the first one, mm. and he was hot for her. I'm like, 
I can't stand this fucking bitch. She's such a nasty, phony, yuppie, you know. And, of course, then she got huge with friends and all that. And I was like, she's a power player. I'm like, why? It, you know what it reminds me of? Back when uh, Kathleen Gifford used to do the morning show with Regis and then Hoda and all those other people. Yeah. And it was like, oh, Kathy Lee, she's so warm and genuine. I'm like, do you know how to read people? <laughs> this one's a psycho bitch. Really? Like, oh, my God. So same thing with Addison. That's where I came up from. <laughs> Like, no, no Aniston films, please. No, no, no when, I, when I was researching Jennifer Lopez, you know, that name always comes up first. I said, ah, let me mess with him. <laughs> hey, with Jennifer in, that's what pops up. Well, you did that recently with some other one. What was that? It wasn't Jackie Bissett, but it was somebody, and you're like, oh, you ready to do the something like Britney Spears? So I'm like, what? No. <laughs> Forget what it was. Yeah, poor Britney Spears. I don't get that. Yeah, poor girl's a mess. What are you going to do? Well, I'm it was cute. <laughs> I'm surprised you wanted to do Burton sooner. Yeah, you know what it was? You know, like you were kind of like out of sorts lately for all the stuff that's going on, and I'm like, you know, look, you, you indulged me a couple of times with this whole unplanned uh, Black History Month thing. You indulged me again with this unplanned Women's History thing. We keep inserting things in the schedule. I'm like, you know what? You've been stumping for Burton forever. So it was either going to be him or Tom Cruise. I'm like, eh, I'll do Burton. I've seen a bunch of his films already, so it's a little easier. <laughs> I know it won't be so, I'd say negative, but, you know, when we get into the modern films, you notice that a lot of more of them are like, what the fuck am I watching? So I'm like, all right, he's got a lot of stuff in the 60s, a lot of stuff in the 70s. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, the guy had a, to be fair and to be even-handed, he had tremendous ability as an actor. Mm-hmm. He had that great Welsh speaking voice. Yes, his, some of his earliest pictures are, even if they're not our cup of tea, like, uh, what was that, The Robe? Yeah. And, and Prince of Players, where he was a Shakespearean actor working mm-hmm. in the American West, which is based on a true story, actually. Okay. And, you know, there's some mid-period pictures. The stuff he did with his wife of five or six times, <laughs> I know. that stuff is wild because it's, I'm not going to say it's bad, but you, they were both heavily soused oh yeah and it's obvious that you know there's a handful of you know who's afraid of virginia wolf is rough because it's like really a good movie yeah but it's sometimes rough to watch oh yeah and then there's an element of not so much schadenfreude but you know you're watching you're trying to get a window into their personal lives since they were so tumultuous this relationship you know it was worse than the benefit thing because that there was a reason for that that was you know whatever but this was just them loving each other and then throwing each other out and having a big blowout fight and then making up and then we get divorced and then we get remarried and we can't live without each other but we gotta live without each other and it went on so many times i don't know how many times i got married and divorced (laughs) but you you get some good stuff in there too like i did like the sandpiper i did like cleopatra for what it was you know there's a couple of them that they did together we're like okay that's pretty good but yeah (laughs) it's some relationship that's all i can say (laughs) here's the one which i watched recently because you know i don't have the dvd or blu-ray but i found it online somewhere Mm -hmm. streaming uh dave del val mentioned it Mm -hmm. and uh, it was the one where they're on an island and she plays this spinster-esque crazy drunk okay He's supposed to play a much younger guy, but he's obviously not. He's his age as he is of the time. This is like, I don't know, early 70s? Was it the VIPs or something? Not that one, but it's it's one like of that ilk. Okay. And it's just totally nuts. And and like Dave DelVal said, he just recently did with somebody else the uh, audio commentary for like a new version on Kino that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he briefly put a couple juicy bits out there like they were both drunk all the time. <laughs> 
no cowards <laughs> in it. So he's another drinker. Yeah. Oh well, no cowards was a sophisticated drinker. He was like the Oscar Wilde of the. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would say the Gatsby set, but it was a little later than that. <laughs> but anyway, so so Lee Burton, you know, it, it comes and goes. Like the Wild Geese is a lot of fun. It's oh yeah, good... we talked about that one in our uh, Richard Harris show. Yeah. So I mean, there there are there are things there. Yeah, I mean Exorcist too. You can't not either love or hate that one. And then you got the Medusa touch, and you know, there's a couple interesting things. There's there, a couple yeah. interesting things, and there are the Klansman. You know, Klansman. Yeah, I would love to find that one, but they didn't have it where I'm looking. So it's like, yeah, damn. you you might find enough of it. There was a cut version on YouTube, which is like, why are you going to show a cut version? Yeah, exactly right. Um, but I might it, skim it if it's there. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to skim it. It's just like. Two masterful drunks, <laughs> you know, Lee Marvin, you know. And, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, do uh, you want to test this and then we can get into it? Will do. And I'll also say, uh, I was, yeah. like I said, I was catching up on Daredevil because uh, I never really saw the whole series. I saw like an episode or two of all those, you know, when they came out on Netflix years ago. I'm like, hey, you know, these things are so fucking dark. I did enjoy the first season of Iron Fist and portions, I guess, of the early second season. But the only other one I really liked, other than that Defenders crossover, was pretty decent because it was just kind of, you know, cartoonish. But was season two when they brought in Elektra and all that stuff. And, of course, they had the hand and stick and whatever else. I was like, oh, this is great. And they had a little bit of the Punisher, but, you know, not a lot. So I'm like, all right, you know, I really should go to season three, but let me just go back and see where it started. And it's been slow because I've got other things going on and we're doing these shows and whatever. But I finally got up to, I think it was like episode seven, eight, something like that. And they had an episode on stick and it was like the whole early relationship they had. And I was like... You know what? This fucking character kind of saved this season because <laughs> the rest of us all like, ah, oh, boy, whatever. It's what I remembered. But you know, finally, it's filling in the blanks. And then that one was like, wow, that was actually really rather good. And then of course the next one will kind of fuck me up because the whole that was the one about the kingpin in his background. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of uh, Donofrio's kingpin. He's kind of he's not imposing. Let's put it that way. But holy shit! I mean. If you, I mean, I know you did from your area, but if you grew up in a rough neighborhood and had a, like a, I don't want to say a rough childhood, but you know, you, you had to deal with people on your own and nobody's going to back you up kind of shit. Yeah. It's, oh my God. I was like, I hate to say it, but I actually kind of broke down that whole scene at the end where he's like talking to Vanessa and he's like, you know, I wear this shit to remind me that I'm not a monster like him. And I was like, I, I broke down. I was like, holy shit. This is, uh, I mean, maybe you have to have been there and lived that life and carried this kind of baggage, mm-hmm. but that was intense. So I give him credit for that. I if if nothing credit. else, he's very emotional. He, yeah, he no, he, uh, the, that character is tough, and you know, it's tough for him to gain all that weight to do it, too. Yeah, but look at Michael Clark Duncan in the movie. I mean, I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this guy really throws a lot into it, and that's, I don't know the, what the deal was with the writing there, because it's such a, it, it leans towards torture porn a lot, which bothers me, but especially that episode was really rough, but I'm like, holy shit, there's like, I don't know, like I said, maybe you have to have been there, maybe you have to have carry these kind of scars, but yeah. holy shit, so I'll give him credit for that for sure. I am very, you know, it's like something I wanted, I wanted them to, you know, the, the guy's good, Charlie Cox, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he is. He's British, too. I, who the fuck do, y'all? Did you see She-Hulk? I mean, it's a silly series, but I no. love the episode where she fucks him. <laughs> no, I'm going to get to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite the bullet on the Disney. It's fun. Because they're fun. not going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to bite the bullet soon. This way I'll probably spend the spring and summer catching up on a lot of stuff. Oh, like, God. Wait to see Moon Knight. What a piece of crap. And that Ms. Marvel thing? <laughs> anyway, there's some good ones. Hawkeye was good. Winter Soldier's good. She-Hulk's good. Yeah, what was I gonna say? Uh, oh yeah, Sorry. yeah. So anyway, I was I was surprised that they're bringing back Daredevil. Really good. And yeah, 
Yeah, the D'Onofrio's on board. Okay. Uh, they just announced John Bernthal. Good for okay, him. Okay, good. Let's get the Karen Page and Foggy on people back. No, ah. that's a big surprise. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, and I knew they weren't going to get uh, Rosera Dawson because she's doing other shit. Or did they? Well, as far as I know, Karen Page and, and Foggy, are those actors are not coming back. I don't even know if they the character well the characters have to be in it. Well somehow. Maybe in the background. Maybe they're gonna go to San Francisco. Maybe he's gonna screw the Black Widow. <laughs> like in the comics. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But but those two guys. I, did you watch you watched The Punisher, right? Uh I did not actually. I just know him from season two of the series. That's why I say I'm trying to work my way through this stuff. Catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch that. You know, and it's interesting. You know, he's uh He's pretty intense. I mean, he's not my idea of the Punisher, let's put it that way, you know, physically and otherwise, but you know, I, I can see why uh, you like that, and I can see, you know, people that are into this kind of stuff, the but, really grim and gritty Marvel stuff. Like, oh, yeah, they probably love that. Well, this, the thing about Bernthal is, uh, I know, well, the thing about Bernthal is, yeah, he's he's got a way about that. It's almost like him. Mm-hmm. Got a, he's got a podcast show, a video podcast show he does. He's been doing it for about two years now. Where he talks to guys who just got out of prison for doing life, mm-hmm. and he talks he talks to people who did hard time, and good for him. You know, why did you why did you do it? You know, yeah. Uh, don't tell me you're innocent. You know, that kind of thing. You know, you know. So what do you want to do now? And I'm like, hey, this is really interesting. Yeah. And it fits that a guy like that can talk to people like like Danny Trejo. A guy like that can talk to people like that because they know like he's not gonna fuck with us. You know. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I tell you. All right, you know, people do things and you got to pay for it, yes. But I don't understand this country's criminal justice system. It's all about profit these days. They yeah. want to put people away just to make extra fucking money and get a kickback. And once you get out, they don't let you get, get you back on your feet. It's like, fuck you, you got a criminal record. That's the end of it. Yeah, so, no what, of course, there's recidivism because they got nothing else they can do. So, I am totally for those kind of like, you know, prison reform kind of shit, especially people that got out, give them a second chance. I mean, you know, you got to watch people, obviously, especially if they did shit. But people can turn around. People want to turn around a lot of times, and they just can't. The way it's set up right now, the system's rigged against them. So I'm all for that, and I'm glad to hear that he does that shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, if you're on Instagram, you can follow him. He sometimes posts clips. Hmm. And um, what else was there? Um, oh, yeah, and as far as the Punisher goes, there are colors to, to his character. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know. Well, I guess like Donna Free with the Kingpin. It's like multi-layered. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 you're thinking if you watch the first few, like oh he's just a brutal beast, mm-hmm. and then he starts opening it. But then the problem is, and this is all of also a very well written show because there are key episodes mm-hmm. where it's like wow that was really well written because he opens his heart and he gets fucking like you know he doesn't want to protect anybody mm-hmm. you know really and he ends up protecting this this girl you'll see when you get around to it and. and and he gets fucked. Yeah. Of course. But that's always what happens. That's the problem. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So test this. Let me know how it sounds. And uh, we'll go right into Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, I wish you could remember the name of that schmuck that was uh, top of the heap. Remember the thing about the garbage man? And then he became a friends guy. The Italian kid. I can't remember his name. <laughs> I would have said something about him, too. Uh, anyway, fucking friends. We'll talk to you in a minute. All right. Please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Testing one, two. Testing one, two. We're very cometh. Can WC be far behind? And the answer is no.
Oh, I like this a lot. I even jerked off to it. What are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God. 